Avast! Fiddle, we missed the last boat off the island. We have to stay on Catalina all night? Yeah, because we had to take that wildlife tour because you tried to convince me that buffalo were extinct. I didn't think they were extinct. I thought they were never real. Well, here we are, stuck on a resort island people dream of coming to because of you. Gee, I haven't been this late since that weekend when Mick Jagger threw out my birth control. I've told you, you need to stop making those jokes. They're offensive, they're untrue, and you've made so many of them. Well, that's your opinion. What are we going to do for the night? <sighs> we got to get a hotel room. Someone. How much do you have? 50 cents. What about you? I have $425. So if we pull our money together, we can get a hotel room and I could sleep in it and you could buy some gum and sit in the lobby till I wake up. Gum's gross. I'm going to invest my share in a parking meter. All right, let's see what kind of rooms we can get. I hope this place has caviar massages. Bellhop! I know you're there. Your TV's still on. Your e-cigarette is still e-smoldering. Yeah, they're probably on break. Let's go get something to eat next door. Food hop! Two kids menus, please, and be nice to us, because it's also our birthdays today. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, stranded visitors. Save your grifter's anthem. No one's here. The stove is on, and I can hear the radio. I don't know. Something weird's happening. I'm going to walk around, see if I can find anyone. Stay here. All right, but I'm ordering dessert without you. There's nobody here. Oh, yeah. Ordering. I might have, no doubt. He's stupid buffalo. I knew they weren't extinct. I told them. I told everyone. I eat buffalo burgers all the time. And they say to me, they say, What the hell's that? Oh, no, my accent. Baseball game this late at night? And everyone's here. Well, that's right, my lost tourist. Welcome to my island after dark. Who are you? I'm William Wrigley Jr. And these are my lost souls. Are you all ghosts? Let's just say we're permanent residents. You moved here. Well, nobody ever moves to Carolina Island. They just miss the last ferry and find their way here. Living out the American dream of playing spring training baseball against the 1923 Chicago Cubs. And we just happen to be down a shortstop. Uh, sorry, I can't. I got to, uh, I, I left my friend and I, if I don't get back to him, he'll never find me. Hey, Greg. <laughs> hey, is that the bubblegum guy? And are those the 1923 Chicago Cubs? There's no chewing in baseball. I I haven't seen this many men in uniform since Fleet Week with Mick Jagger. How do you know them? I took the tour. That's why we're still here. Oh, there's two of you. Double the pleasure. Double the fun. We need shortstops, boys. Our last two got sent to the Wintergreen Mines. You don't want to get sent to the Wintergreen Mines, do you? We don't want to go there, Greg. They smell really good. How do you know? I took the tour. Now run as if you're playing a certain American pastime. <laughs> Where do we go? The casino. The sounds of the slot machines will give us cover. Where are all the slot machines? You ass. It's casino in the British sense. Then where am I going to cash in all my chips? Those are chips in the British sense too, meaning french fries in the American sense. Oh no, we're surrounded. Welcome to your new home where the buffalo roam. Those aren't real. The ferry. It's sunrise. You lost, Mr. Wrigley. We get to go home. I didn't mean to frighten you, boys. I just wanted to offer you a permanent home on this resort island I've created where Americans can come and indulge in their favorite pastimes. Chewing Wrigley brand gum, playing baseball, and isolating themselves from the rest of the world. But there's one thing you're forgetting about us, Wrigleys. We never lose our vengeance!
It's what? in my hair. Uh, I haven't been this sticky since. Don't. You know, this is the stickiest I've ever been. Here we go. Ellie Meekly, episode 54. <laughs> Greg just took off the tragedy mask and put on the comedy mask. You saw it happen right before yeah. your eyes. It was like a werewolf, but a lot more subtle. Yeah, and yeah. lightning fast. <laughs> he came in here the most depressed person I've ever seen. And yeah. All of a sudden, now he's, what, Will Rogers or <laughs> something? <laughs> the happiest man not alive. You are my full moon. <laughs> and that's supposed to sound romantic, but it's really mean. <laughs> Welcome to episode... 54. 54. It is. Yeah, 54 of Ellie Meekly. You got a joke on that? Club 54? Hmm. Uh, that's not a thing. Disco. Is Club 54 a thing? Yeah, Disco. Well, it probably wasn't called Club 54. What was it called? Studio 60? <laughs> oh, Studio 54. Is it Studio? Where? What about Car 54? Where are you? Oh, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. That's the Disco <laughs> the Hub, The Disco right? Car. Yeah. Everybody did cocaine in that. <laughs> it was the original Cash Cab, but it was just Disco. <laughs> so welcome to uh, our new episode before we get into it. Hey, what's happened in the past month? What's one what's thing happened? you want to tell? What, what happened what in happened? the past? That could be the title of this segment. What happened in the, the past the, month? The, it can be the title of the entire episodes from now on. What happened, what happened? in the well, past? That's certainly how people react to it once they hear it. Ha 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 you have the floor let me interrupt this happened only a couple days ago but baxter street and echo park the steepest street is now a one-way street which is ridiculous it cuts down half my navigation skills like i was just it's so easy to hop over the hill and all you have to do is move aside or don't hit a car but i don't know why these new people like they try to turn around they like their cars flip over like how does that even happen is it an infomercial for hey, how to drive like what's going on my car got stuck halfway yeah I had, i've been stuck midway too we're here <laughs> like we made it like it's it's gonna be okay yeah but this is for all those who didn't but you don't know which way it's gonna be going yet yeah either way it's, it's probably not gonna go in your favor it's, yeah exactly <laughs> like if i need to go to the freeway it's gonna be the opposite direction if i need to come home from the freeway it's gonna be like it doesn't matter people are saying well people who are taking ways the ways drivers they're getting lost mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do go another way like if you see a big hill don't go over the hill maybe they should download another ways maybe Waze should make a, a, a thing saying oh this is a really steep street maybe you yeah. want to reconsider but like changing uh, traffic laws you go where have you been this month oh okay so, that, so that's not your that's not your thing right no that's not my thing that's just something i'm, I'm angry my favorite about. thing this week is traffic regulations <laughs> you know i was gonna talk i was debating between two things to talk about yes. and then when i was waiting for you today because you were like two hours late you couldn't get on backstage i was that's an hour late go ahead you were so furious you walked into a shovel <laughs> i was in the area of where we're recording which is northridge yeah. and i was killing time and i went somewhere that i decided this is actually maybe my the place Cinnabon? i want to talk about <laughs> it's called Cinnabon. Cinnabon. have you heard of this <laughs> they're these buns <laughs> covered in frosting <laughs> the place i went to was a place you know the ten dollar or less bookstore that's right yeah well they actually because they used to be a few doors down well, they moved. maybe might even be three doors down they were in a bigger place before and when i pulled up because i knew they were still 
somewhere there. In that plaza. Yeah. yeah. And I pulled up and I saw that they're in this smaller location. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be as good. It's smaller yeah. that obviously everything smaller is not yeah. as good. No more big books, small books now. Yeah, paperbacks. Only um, those little ones that the Buddhists give you. Ah, That's all I have. Zines. But I go, zines. I go in there and it was much better than it was before because the way that it was arranged was it felt like they really cared about it because like each section had a handmade sign of like young adult, oh, really? science fiction, horror, mystery. Yeah. And it was like these really cool handmade signs and obviously the books are a good price and there's yeah. a lot of good stuff there but they also had like just special displays for there was one because solo came out today oh, yeah, or yeah, yesterday right, yeah. so there was one that was like what would chewbacca read and it was like oh, a book cool. about dog grooming yeah. and it was a book about like all these different things tangentially related to what <laughs> chewbacca looks like and then there was a section of like king arthur and yeah. it had everything had like little jokes and there was like I local like art stuff done and there was even a section of like blind date books so it was <laughs> it was books wrapped in like um what was it called gift wrap i haven't oh, gotten one in so long tissue uh, and, no 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 like wrapping paper. paper so you can't see what the book is and then there's just a like a sentence on the front vaguely relating like this is a story about this and this oh, and you okay. can buy it you know i don't know maybe like cool. two dollars or something yeah. and you just get a random book it's a cool bookstore it first of all obviously it's cool to be yeah, in a that bookstore. there's a bookstore but also that the they seem to have a sense of humor and care about yeah. the arrangement and the collection in the bookstore I thought was really nice. I, I like that the care obviously shows in small little bookstores like that or any yeah. small little mom and pop shop like the concern and care over this yeah. stuff is really it, cool. it felt and it also felt since it's so near CSUN college students having fun yeah. but in a good way Yeah, having fun in a way with, that doesn't make me nervous. Having fun in a customer service way. Yeah. <laughs> so you've heard my rap that I gave <laughs> at the CSUN orientation. It's very nice that now the empire of giant bookstores is has, gone, fallen. has fallen and, and now the peasants have taken yeah, over. Exactly. Exactly. The little bookstores are starting to come back. Yeah, But there was also next door to it was this coffee shop that there were people out front. Someone was teaching them how to paint. Yeah. And they had all these easels set up and they were doing paintings. Uh-huh. And then inside there was a musician playing and it was nice. And it, that's like right next to literally next door to the bookstore. That's great. And it was just a nice feeling between those two stores. And then there's big lots. And, then, <laughs> and I went to big lots and I bought everything. And I didn't shop at the other places. But it's very I, nice. I, that they they're have there. great books at, bo- at big lo- book lots. <laughs> just so you know, it's at Tampa. I have the address. It's eight. 978 Tampa Avenue. In that it, big plaza with the big lots, obviously. With the big, go the for the big goes. lots. Yeah. I'm glad you were late today so that I could go in that place. There's that, that big movie world bookstore in Burbank closed, which yeah, I know. me out because I, I, I've been going there since. I remember we were in line to see Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> which one? The very first one. The fifth one? The fifth one, yeah. We were in line to see Jurassic Park. Or we weren't in line, but we were we were in the area to watch Jurassic Park, but it was early. So we went to. I, well, that's how long I've been going yeah. to that bookstore. Jurassic Park, <laughs> 1994. Five or billion years ago. <laughs> Yeah, that because exactly that when you're going to the one of the movies in Burbank, that's the perfect place to kill time. Yeah, but not anymore, but it was yeah. the perfect place to kill time. It'll be like a second Urban Outfitters on that block. Just like, <laughs> It'll be the Urban Outfitters outlets outlet. <laughs> this is where we fold clothes, and you can buy them as we're folding them. This month, yeah. What have you done? Have you read a book lately? Never, <laughs> as you will be able to tell from my research. I went with my sign painting class to the Beyond the Streets exhibit, which is in the outskirts of downtown on uh, like Main Street at some old Buddhist some place where apparently where they used to make. Buddhist that statues. where I get those zines? Yeah, that's where you the, the, the Buddhist zines. <laughs> the zine factory? Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was great going with side painting class because it's a bunch of people who really love graffiti and they don't seem very impressed by high art. So that was pretty cool that we walked by a Banksy and everyone's like, this rolled their eyes and uh, not interested. But Banksy's then, high art? I mean, like... Compared to compared tagging? to <laughs> Compared to a bunch of pictures of tagging on trains from New York, like Brooklyn in the 80s, which I think is 
much cooler. It's just a lot of people like, look at the line work. And it's really cool. <laughs> we went and we had our tour. There was like a curator. And then with her helping give the tour was a street photographer who's really famous. His name is Estevan Orio. He's a very famous photographer. It's a lot of like Chicano gang culture and stuff like that. He's also like shot the Kardashians. And he's kind of famous for he's the first person to photograph people doing the gang sign of the LA, like oh. the Dodgers hat. He took a photo of that. It's like now people do like Vince Scully does it. Like it's it's a mm. big deal. But so he, Vince Scully's in a gang now. Yeah, he's a gang. They, they he retired. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, he, he was there talking about stuff and you know, he's worked with Mr. Cartoon and Cypress Hill and stuff. So he, he was there talking about his work and Mr. Cartoon's work because usually Mr. Cartoon's there giving tours for students mm. and stuff. But, you know, he, having someone there talk about his own work and then street art as a whole and stuff and just like Chicano culture was really neat to have him there for that. Yeah. But tell me more about this Banksy. It's like a sister exhibit to Art in the Streets, which was at LACMA a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was at MoCA. MoCA, yeah, in Little Tokyo. So it was a lot of same artists, but a lot of different artworks and stuff like that. Me and my love for train graffiti, was, <laughs> I, I was appeased there. But it's really great if, you, if you're, you know, try to catch it before it goes. Because I know when Art in the Streets left, I like felt the void. Like I wanted to go at least two more times. Nah, I, I don't get that stuff. I don't understand. I don't, I don't get low art. And then I went to Fleep's after and I was completely unaware of the fact that my sign painting teacher retouched the Philippe's sign. Let's leave it to one thing we did one in this past month. Let's not go promoting. It was part of the your, same let's day. Let's not continue your campaign to kiss up to your teacher. He doesn't listen. No one listens to anything I do. <laughs> Those are a couple things we did and liked. We've done a lot of things. Those are the only things we've liked this yeah, past month. One of it. I don't usually like things. Well, now let's go to our reader question <gasps> segment. Our second one doing this. You got a question? We got answers. Oh, what you, is that from? That's something, isn't it? I have you got probably. questions? We got answers. Isn't that Larry H. Parker? Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> He's the original Ask Jeeves, right? <laughs> you got questions? We got uh, answers. answers. What's baking powder made out of? Larry H. Parker. Am I bleeding the normal amount? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me represent you. So this one's from at Andy W. Score Lomelli on Twitter. He asks, I often have friends from all over the country visiting for a wedding or other random events and find myself playing tour guide. My usual routine consists of the last bookstore, Griffith mm-hmm. Park, Hollywood, and of course, tacos in Boyle Heights. Where are your go-to spots to take out of towners. Well, I tell him to get the hell out of here. Here's where I take you, the Greyhound station. (laughs) Go back. And by the way, when we're at the Greyhound station, I'll be like, by the way, this is where <laughs> I give the Greyhound bus driver a 20 to go up Baxter. Uh-huh. You want to go first? You want to feel this? Well, because we were talking about this a little bit and we couldn't, at least since we last spoke, yeah. we couldn't quite decide because... I had a friend come in from out of town with his wife who's never been here before and I had to be a tour guide. I like found myself not knowing where to go yeah. because like, do you want to see cool stuff? Yeah. Or do you want to see like the big stuff? And yet, like, I think it separates the two kind. Like it kind of depends on the person. Yeah, it depends on what the person's into because there's, you know, there's plenty of obvious stuff yeah. like he should have add the griffith observatory to that list for sure at night to see the view yeah that's beautiful um but i mean of course there's the obvious stuff but then yeah it depends on what the person yeah. is into if you want to tailor it specifically one thing i was thinking of is if they're into movies there's so many special screenings of stuff around town. oh yeah, yeah, yeah like when my cousin came in he wants to do movie composing and they were showing when he was in town at the egyptian they were showing the tim burton batman and then afterwards a discussion with danny elf about the score so that was like perfect Perfect. and i said score (laughs) so it just it depends what the person's into there's probably something hidden and specific like that yeah there's so much specific stuff like i wrote down the obvious stuff just in case farmer's market is great the Biltmore, you can walk around the building and they have like a couple restaurants and bars there that's true Uh, like um here's a recent thing that we've learned you can do is just wander around the hotel roosevelt yeah yeah. (laughs) just go to the pool no one says anything you can go to the second floor before they say anything yeah Yeah. before uh you and brian cox are 
followed by security guard yeah. and i walk away because i'm not doing that but yeah farmer's market if you can find a way to get into the magic castle get into the magic castle i think if you rent a room that, at yeah. the hotel next to it the adjoining one you get in for free but it's really? like expensive yeah uh-huh. come on what am i made of magic money uh <laughs> i went to the getty villa recently which i could have talked about for my thing this month always look ahead of time if you need to make a reservation or anything but uh it was beautiful it was i, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was yeah i like the getty center but i'm not like i'm not in like I'm, with the getty yeah, center i'm not married to it but i will marry the getty villa i've never <laughs> been to rp i've never been to a villa before but then i wrote down a couple like non-obvious ones if the person comes and they've been to alley before but they want to like do fun stuff here's my list king's hawaiian restaurant in torrance <laughs> if you like king's hawaiian the rolls there's no. a bakery you don't like that no it's too you're, sweet you're weird you're a weird guy <laughs> but if you, you get a hamburger from there they'll make it with the king's hawaiian bread redondo beach pier is really great they have a restaurant bar called tony's on the pier is that place still there or did they close i think it's still there i haven't been there in a while but i believe it's still there if you get a mai tai they'll give you a glass yeah with a well, free glass yeah like a rocks glass the rose bowl swap me if you're here on a sunday is fantastic the street where they caught richard ramirez is really cool if you're <laughs> into that street. kind of stuff long beach to the fourth avenue they have a bunch of sh- like vintage shops and, and you know, stuff like that you know what i actually heard on another podcast is that if you go to the swap meet in long beach it's uh like most of the same vendors as the oh, really? the rose bowl one yeah but none of the traffic and oh, that's parking that. hassle well those are just a few things to take your ingrates that come to visit i mean what they're not happy going to see Ripley's Believe It or Not anymore. We walked down Hollywood Boulevard but she, she his wife wanted to because she kind of wanted to see like grimy Hollywood and I like see, well trust me see all, of, life. <laughs> all of Hollywood is like what you think is Hollywood is actually Los Feliz <laughs> and also you know look at an SO tour has crime tour oh, or yeah. like just tours. Those are expensive. They're expensive but if you're in town and you like Raymond Chandler you can always do that. That's true. Anyway we, we've spent enough time on this. Let's get to the the meat of the episode. The King's Hawaiian meat of the episode. Good job. The sweetbreads but in the sense that it's brains and it's heart and stuff like that we didn't even talk about what we're talking about this yeah month. it occurred to me that we didn't even say up top we're gonna be talking about catalina island Woo! you've been there i've been there twice tell me about it you see there's this island by the bay that's in the bay it's also the bay <laughs> it also happens to be the bay but it's in the bay and then you have to cross the bay to get there it's kind of complicated yeah it's a nice place i mean it's how is it nice though it's just nice what do you want <laughs> what do you want me to say i i meant uh, it's niece sorry it's friends <laughs> oh think about friends it's my niece i'm related to this island <laughs> it kind of has like a santa barbara sort of feel okay it, for, like for sleepy better town sleepy beach town yeah for better and worse it has that santa barbara feel it's a little island getaway it's a small it's, town it's everything they told you it was yeah. yeah you don't have to i mean in my opinion you don't need to spend more than two nights maybe in one night there no um <laughs> what's that mean <laughs> there's a one night stand. <laughs> you ever heard of a one night stand kid? then you swim back to the mainland <laughs> you know, never heard of her don't miss the ferry this time <laughs> three bells there's a lot of really good stuff to see but then you know after a day or two it's like yeah i've seen it we're beating the same path over and over I again you're, you're continually moving clockwise around the ocean yeah. to get to yeah. a place you started at yeah the because the whole island is surrounded by a conveyor belt and they just stand on it the thing is because like i want to see like the inner parts of the island yeah. but there's no cars you know only yeah. a few people can have cars on the island and you can't bring your car yeah. to the island so there's no way to really get there unless you rent a go-kart but it's like was crazy fees it was like 30 dollars an hour to oh, okay. to go on the golf carts i mean they drive more than 80 hours an hour right a golf cart that yeah. means i can see everything they're supercharged super, they're nuclear powered. that's the secret of Catalina. <laughs> but yeah it's a nice place uh cool 
<laughs> I've never been there before, and I yeah, have, I'm surprised that you haven't been there. I mean, no one's invited me, so like, why, why would I don't even know how accessible? I didn't even know that I take off from Long Beach. I thought I had to go to like San Diego. I didn't realize that it's right We're taking here. the long way. We want to get <laughs> to the south side of the island. <laughs> We're gonna go around the continent. And, and, like, I had no idea how close it was. You I thought to, it was closer to Newport Beach. Yeah, you have to leave from uh, Tierra del Fuego if you want to. Uh, joke. <laughs> I don't know if that's a joke. That's the thing. <laughs> Mainlanders. You can leave from San Pedro also. You don't have to leave from Long Beach. Oh really? I think you can also leave from Newport Beach if you want to. Let's get to this. I'm going to start with you know, the prehistory of it, um, and then you're going to get into the resort history yeah, the, of it. how it became a resort town. Yeah, how it became Little Santa Barbara by the sea, by the sea. <laughs> in the sea. Little Santa Barbara in the sea. I found my love at Avalon. By the sea, by the sea, by the beautiful scene. And here we begin. <laughs> we all know Catalina Island as the resort city of a thousand golf carts, but before it became the playground of drunk beach lovers and frugal birthday boys and girls, it was just an island. Cut to 20 million BC. The oh, island was pushed out of the ocean sometime between then and five million years ago around when jurassic park came out (laughs) this was promotion for the premiere of jurassic park this is jurassic park catalina i mean part two of jurassic park came close enough to being Jurassic park catalina anyways i don't know why it's not even a joke so it's two miles long eight miles wide at its fattest and one mile wide at its skinniest Uh, describing now if that isn't a figure i could get (laughs) so it covers a total of some forty-seven thousand eight hundred eighty-four acres with its highest point being mount orizaba at 2,097 feet high. The whole thing, it's 26 miles off the coast from San Pedro. All right, so it's a half hour drive. Yeah. Just hit the wharf and keep on driving. <laughs> you have um, to hit it at 120 miles per hour to, just to make it like a couple miles. If you can do the calculations, you can get there in your own car. If you can get flight yeah. from your car, you'll make that's it. That's how the people who have cars there, that's how they got them there. They launched off they launched of uh, off Port San Pedro, That big bridge that that guy jumped off yeah, of. Yes, Edmund Pettus or whatever. What is it? It's Tony not Scott? Edmund. No, 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 not, Ed, not the person. Isn't the bridge oh, called? I don't that? remember. It's not the Edmund Pettus Bridge. That's the no. bridge from Selma, isn't it? What's the name of that bridge? I have no idea. I, don't, right. I said it before. And I don't remember. I don't remember anything. Well, you don't care about civil rights. <laughs> it's home to many plants and animals, including sixty species that aren't found anywhere else in the world, oh, really? such as the Catalina Island gray fox. Ooh. It's called the rich man. It's also known as Robert Altman. <laughs> Let's get the mystery of these bison out of the way. Not native animals to the island. What? What does that mean? They didn't spring from the earth, what? like Rocky and Bullwinkle. You mean animals from the Midwest and just appear on an island? I'm confused. You mean that this wasn't a chunk blown out from Yellowstone? (laughs) So they were brought over in 1924 for the filming of the movie The Vanishing American. They brought 14 of them on a boat for the movie, but in the middle of the production, they ran out of money so they couldn't afford to bring them back to the mainland. So they just left them there and they did what most people go to Catalina for and got down to making offspring. (laughs) And eating grass. (laughs) Yeah, grass offspring or cash or whatever. (laughs) They control the population, but at its highest in 1987 there were 527 bison on the island they've brought in new bison from elsewhere and taken away others pretty regularly to prevent inbreeding so as of today there's around 150 living on the island including one who gored a guy last year Oh, I thought Gordagai was a word. Yeah, you don't know Gordagai? Mordecai, brother. Mordecai's Mordecai, brother. Mordecai Gordagai. <laughs> As for people, there are traces that Catalina Island has been inhabited for over 10,000 years, <laughs> okay. starting around the year 8,000 BC, in case you forgot what year we were in. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention. I thought we were back in 5 billion BC. <laughs> Obviously, we don't know a lot about the first people or how they got there, but throughout all those years, there have been different groups that have come and gone. We don't know who most of them are. The last native tribe, though, to live there, we do know a little bit about. They were called the Pimuvits or the Pimungans. They were called that because they called the island itself Pimu. Pimu. Do we know what that means? 
Means, means Catalina Island. Yeah. So their main village was where Avalon now is, as we seem to do. We see, hey, they got a good village set up. Let's What's put, that? Let's, let's put heavier houses on it. The first question of every conqueror. What's that? <laughs> this main village, they called it Pimunga also. And they worshipped a god named Chini. Chinik, okay. who was one of three forms of a god who also went by a name we might be more familiar with, Quowar. Oh, yeah. Who was the same god that many other tribes in the region who they believed in making the Pimuvit part of the general tribe we now know as the Gabrielano or Tongva or Keech. So they're all related. Okay. N- not literally, but they're all... Cousins. Of yeah. they're, they're all, they're tri- all, tribal cousins. <laughs> they're all related, not literally. They're cousins. They're cousins. So they live mostly off the fly fish and the abalone and sea lions that were abundant around yeah. the island. They found mounds of abalone shells that were piled 10 feet high. <laughs> Clam bake. A favorite food they had was called islay, uh-huh. which was the kernel of a type of plum that grew on the island. Oh, okay. English-speaking people later called it mountain cherry, which is where the name Cherry Valley comes from, uh, which right. is on the island. Uh, none of this makes sense to you because... I haven't been there. Yeah. Hey, I've been reading some of these words <laughs> in books. I've heard of plums. I'm like Rumpelstiltskin. No, what's the princess? I'm like Rumpelstiltskin. Name? I'll spin gold I'm, for you. Is it Rapunzel? Yeah. Just look at the world from the window? Well, you wish you were Rapunzel. All people want to be Rapunzel so bad. <laughs> There's two types of people in this <laughs> room. People who want to be Rapunzel and then there's Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Guess which one you are. <laughs> so the plants on the island weren't very helpful nutrition-wise aside from the cattail and chia. So they needed to trade with other tribes. So that meant that they needed a way to get off the island, which yeah. they had in the form of long canoes called tiots, which were made of redwood. They were really long, right? Yeah, they were held together by plant ropes. They could fit 30 people at a time. Like that. That's, <laughs> that's like a, a party limo. bus. Yeah, that's a party. <laughs> That's a part. That's a Hummer canoe. Only two people needed to go. The rest were a band that was playing. <laughs> yeah. They also could fit a jacuzzi in it. The really nice ones, though. No questions asked. International waters, even back then. <laughs> Just get 10 feet off the shore, anything goes. So 30 people would get into these canoes, and they would, it was like the Olympics. They would row 26 miles to get to that's the mainland crazy, yeah. or to the other Channel Islands, yeah. to, which also had people living on them. They would trade their seafood and their shell beads and the fetishes they made from quartz, and they would get food and supplies that they needed back on the island. The thing they were really known for though was these bowls that they would make so the island has this natural resource of soapstone which is really oh, yeah. soft so they were able to make all these bowls out of it and these were found amongst tribes all along the coast oh, so they're trading with everybody yeah they had an extensive trade network all these bowls could be traced back to catalina island that was the first catalina swap meet yeah <laughs> it now takes place in the rose bowl which is made out of soapstone <laughs> they even used the soapstone to make these sort of like carved paintings that people oh, okay. got out so they were trading like art like they would yeah. make st- like i made Still, for you. Yeah, yeah, what is still being done on the island today, pretty much. <laughs> like, it's an artist colony. Yeah. So much later on, in 1899, I'm going to jump Fine. around a little bit. Yeah. All right, we're done. I jumped to the end. 2022. <laughs> so much later on in 1899, the Americans set up a sawing plant at the Soapstone Quarry at Empire Landing, and they shipped it throughout the city. So a lot of old buildings in LA had this soapstone as a finishing on the fronts of it, because when you polished it, it would look really nice and kind of like color, like kind of green. These okay. colors would come out of it. One building that had this on the front was the old city hall. Really? It was finished on the front with wow. soapstone from That's Catalina cool. Island. So like I said, it was a vast trading network and they were doing really well. There yeah. were about a thousand natives living on Catalina. They were doing just fine until October 7th, 1542. There's a day. October 7th, 1542. That was the day the Pimuvit had their first contact with Europeans in the form of the famous Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo and his ship, the San Salvador. They What's were, that? <laughs> so they were searching for a passage to the Far East, Cabrillo's ship. They found this. They found Catalina Island or Pimu and yeah. the Pimuvit greeted them warmly because they didn't why know wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't know what was about to come. They didn't know hatred yet. Yeah. So Cabrillo 
Rio and his men stayed for 12 hours and then claimed the island in the name of the King of Spain and they renamed it San Salvador after his ship and left. But he seemed to come back repeatedly and use the island as his base for exploring the other Channel Islands. About a year after this first contact, Cabrillo broke his leg in a skirmish with some of the natives on one of the islands and he died on San Miguel Island. But it's believed that he's buried somewhere on Catalina Island, which is kind of weird. This is what's weird. After that, the P movie had no contact with Europeans for 60 years. (laughs) That's just such a weird memory for people to have to recall to their grandkids. Like these white creatures yeah. <laughs> showed up 60 years ago yeah right that never yeah, happened that, come on grandma then the second contact was november 24th 1602 with the ship of another spaniard named sebastian viscano I read this story and it's what did you read he came he carved a face into one of their sacred statues and he shot a raven which they thought was important that i don't know if that was him but we'll get to the raven okay. i don't know about this face carving thing oh, okay. though i think you made that up because i think you you still crave attention during my stories but yeah we'll get to that why story. aren't i talking <laughs> I want to carve my face on this story. <laughs> so Viscano seemed to think he was the first European to discover the island. So he decided to give it yet another name. So he had arrived the day before St. Catherine's Day. So he decided to rename the island in honor of her, calling it Santa Catalina. And for some reason, that stuck forever. He stayed on the island for about two days and then left, leaving the locals with another weird memory of white people for close to 200 years. <laughs> that's insane. Like that's That was it, the fastest they can come back. I know. We'll be back. <laughs> ASAP, but, which is... 200 but years. That, it's, that, it's that sort of thing that like when you hear certain alien stories, yeah. imagine someone 198 years after this contact hearing the story of like, you know, people with white skin came once. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. That doesn't exist. That doesn't ha- yeah, that doesn't like what if aliens did come 200 yeah. years ago and at this point it's like, yeah, right. It's also weird that we can, God, that's like eight generations of people it's or something. It's crazy. The United States is barely older than that. Yeah. And then we like try to sum it up in books like, and if nothing happened. For 600 years. Like, are you kidding me? I know. It all really happened <laughs> in, in the Spanish. Country. But even before that, it's been they've been living there for 10,000 10, years. years. Something and, happened. And we summed it up like, oh, that's 10,000 years. I know. So in 1769, the island was yet again, 1769, was yet again discovered by another Spaniard named Gaspar de Portola. And it was the same year that the first mission in Alta California was built. Oh, so here we go. Yeah, with yeah. fast track destruction. Yeah, here yeah. we go. So the population on Catalina Island was physically decimated due to the disease is that more regular contact with the Spanish brought and their way of life was decimated with the new mission way of life. It destroyed their trade network that they had developed all along the coast. That's so like done. the communal living at their own expense but that, yeah, their but, own people. But that didn't hit them yet because... Are they still isolated though? They're still isolated, yeah. but they can no longer trade really. Oh yeah, so yeah. You'll, yeah. you'll see, see, you, you'll see, see what, what happens. I see what you mean though. So No, you don't see. Not yet. You haven't lived it. <laughs> they could no longer trade for what they needed with the other tribes as most of the other tribes were being absorbed by the missions because they were on the mainland and the missions were supplied by Spanish ships for the most part. So with the Pimuvit already smaller in numbers, they could no longer live off of the island. So they had to move off the island and live in the missions or work on ranches either by choice or by strong suggestion. They were cut off and then imprisoned by proxy. Like yeah, it was also a prison. They were also like had this like a sub prison. It was, now we're on the island. It was almost like a blockade. Of yeah, like a block- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. According to some stories, the Spanish here we're 
getting to the crow now. The Spanish actively, I don't know if it's true or not, but they were actively sent to destroy the false idols of the P movie. So these soldiers came to the island. They destroyed a temple there that was a place to worship the sun. It was a circular temple with a lot of colorful tiles with a figure in the center representing the sun and the moon around which they may or may not have made sacrifices of birds. So then this is what you're thinking of. The Spaniards came in, they saw these two giant crows inside and they immediately assumed they were the devil. So they shot at them, which did not create goodwill. <laughs> so that's your it's, crow story. They come and they're like, well, that that's a dumb superstition. But those crows are the devil. Like that's too... This temple's dumb. Where's the holy water? Where's the water <laughs> Where's that the- makes you God or whatever? I don't know what happened. <laughs> so in 1803, they even considered putting a mission on the island because 1803, there were 400 P movie living on it and they thought it might be worthwhile. But in just two years, over 200 of them died from measles and they decided it wouldn't be worth it to them because the population was too small and they wanted to keep all the missions on the mainland. I almost said like, good luck getting all the lumber to build a mission across the ocean in canoes. But then I thought, well, they would just make them do it. Yeah, yeah, no, not they would fell the whole island to build whatever they, they needed. They would drain the ocean yeah. just to get to it. The population on the island kept going down and down and down. And by 1807, there were only 40 to 50 P movie still on the island. So this number drop was, it was a combination of them moving off the island. Many of them died from disease. There was even one story that probably isn't true, but that some Russian pelt hunters that were in the area killed a huge number of them to take the fur that they had. This probably didn't happen on Catalina, but there is proof that there was a huge massacre by the Russians on San Nicolas Island. Like they found a lot of natives with bullet holes in their temples. I didn't know that the Russians had done that. I know that they were here, and the the reason the Spanish wanted to come to Los Angeles is to beat the Russians here. The story that continues to this day. (laughs) The Spanish and Russian war for California (laughs) rages on. But I didn't know that they were attacking the native population. Why wouldn't they? Wait, yeah, why, they're invaders. Why wouldn't yeah. they? They were here to take their fur. Yeah, and they had guns. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't... Like, that's two reasons. Yeah. We have guns and, we, and you and have we, fur. <laughs> By 1820, there were no P-movie left living on Catalina Island. All that was left was burial sites and scattered relics, which the future residents of the island just couldn't even leave those alone. That's, so this is where I'm going to jump ahead a little. In 1881, a 15-year-old boy named Ralph Glidden moved to Catalina with his family. He grew up to be a carpenter on the island, but one day he was looking for some pearls by the beach and he stubbed his toe on a skull that was sticking out of the ground from a native burial site and he developed an interest in archaeology oh my god this is your daydream this is you this is the person you want to be no don't lump me in with this guy (laughs) i found a bone it's a skull and i want to go to college this is if i grew up in a trailer (laughs) this guy who didn't graduate from high school started referring to himself as dr glidden and in 1915 he started digging up as many p-movie burial sites as he could find on the island and catalog their bones and relics so he dug up hundreds of these burial sites from Catalina and a few other Channel Islands. And then in 1918, he sold his entire collection to the Hay Foundation of the Museum of the American Indian in New York. But the next year, when Wrigley bought the island, he made this sort of digging off limits to anybody but professionals who got approval. He gave the digging rights on the island to the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, who then made a deal with the Hay Foundation to do the actual digging. And those two museums would split the findings. And lucky for the Hay Foundation, they had a contact who was already kind of working for them on the island. So they hired Glidden to dig. So he started digging Uh... again. So he started digging up all the burial sites and he claimed to have excavated over 801 grave sites from 105 locations on the island. But in 1922, they reduced his funding and in April 1924, they cut it completely. So now Glidden had no way of making money. So what he decided to do was open up a museum in a giant tent and he charged 35 cents to come in to see all of these bones and tools that he dug up. He called it the Catalina Museum of Island Indians 
and this was the first museum on Catalina Island, which is, that's something. I got a better name for that. <laughs> Rave Robber's Tent. I know. <laughs> Once he moved out of that tent and into an actual building, he didn't just have the bones on display. He had them arranged in designs a la Ed Gein. Uh. <laughs> the windows were lined with toe, ankle, wrist, and finger bones. What a ghoul. Yeah, he used leg and arm bones to hold up the shelves. There were vertebrae all over the ceiling, and remember, the families of the people whose bones these used to be most likely didn't even know this was happening, and if they did, of course, they did not give permission yeah. to this. It was completely unethical and disrespectful, and going along with the Ed Gein comparison, people referred to it as cultural cannibalism, but of course, most people at the time didn't feel that way. Locals yeah. referred to Glidden as Uncle Ralph. Some called him King Ralph. And the museum was open until 1950. His eventual plan for the museum, which, thank God it never happened, was to build a 16-foot skull on top of the museum, so that the first thing you'd see when you were pulling up to the island was a giant skull. Welcome to Skull Island. It's a resort. <laughs> what do they got in there, King Kong? Jurassic Park. Thanks. Why, I know that you came up in Chicago, Wrigley, but why would you send the remains of Native Americans from California to Chicago? Yeah. Now, I was thinking the same thing. Like, there's a natural history it's museum in Los here. Angeles. Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. But also, These so belong is in a museum. <laughs> These things belong in a museum in Chicago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so now I'm going to get into some of the uh, supernatural weird stuff please, about the island. Please do, because I don't. Because Glidden also made some crazy claims about some of the things he had dug up. Well, the guy with bones all over his apartment. <laughs> I think he might have been a little unbalanced. Nah. So he claims that he found a 138-pound soapstone bowl, which I think maybe he actually did. But he claimed that inside of the bowl were the bones of a royal P-movie princess that was clutching the edge of the bowl, peeking over the edge. And the bowl was surrounded by the bones of 64 children buried in four tiers below it. And then below that was the skeleton of a 7-foot, 8-inch tall creature with a spear stuck into his side. So Glidden claimed that he drawn a comic like what what are you talking about <laughs> is there even enough room it's like when the simpsons pans down from the first <laughs> the second floor to the first floor it's dante glidden's inferno glidden claimed that this was one of a race of the seven foot tall inch thing he claims this is one of a race of giants who used to live on the channel islands that were all between seven and nine feet tall and were fair-haired and fair-skinned and were worshipped by the neighbor by the neighbors the natives as gods since many of these skeletons he claimed to have found were buried around similarly huge bowls you didn't go to college you don't know like you're not an educated man <laughs> you don't need to go to college to know this yeah. this was so obvious it's so obvious that they were fair skinned and had fair hair by <laughs> their looking bones at their... were white <laughs> so many saw these claims as a publicity stunt for his museum and there was very little evidence of these skeletons there were a few pictures other than that as the story goes they were sent to Berkeley and the Smithsonian to be kept in secret vaults these skeletons <laughs> so what is strange though is that in 1913 a German scientist named Dr. A.W. Furstenon said that while on Catalina, he found an eight-foot-tall skeleton buried under hard black sand in Avalon Bay that mostly disintegrated when he brought it up in contact with air. Convenient. Yeah. And then the disintegration went into a vault in the in Switzerland. I have a frog in a box, and it does jazz numbers, but only when you're not looking. <laughs> but not when I'm on Catalina Island. <laughs> also in 1959, on both Santa Rosa Island and San Nicolas Island, supposedly seven-foot-tall skeletons were found with six fingers and toes and double rows of teeth. So these findings give support to people findings in quotes, give support to people who believe that there's an entrance into the inner hollow layers of the earth on Catalina and these were the guardians of that entrance. But the reality is that people had seen receipts in Glidden's Museum of him buying bones from stores on the mainland and just mushing them together to make these crazy things. But hey, conspiracy theories are fun. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun to think about a big hole on <laughs> Catalina. Don't just think about it. Go there. <laughs> Take my tour of Catalina to the big hole. Have you been to the hole? <laughs> 
spend a third day there. Go to the hole. Oh, it's hole with a W. You're going to see everything. So in 1962, the Wrigley's bought his collection and gave over 50,000 artifacts and 30,000 teeth to the Catalina Island Museum. So they at least it stayed local. I'd like the bones of uh, Glitman to put on around my Glitman. Give me the bones of Jiminy Glick. 200 of these skeletons that he found are now in possession of the Fowler Museum at UCLA. Oh, okay. That's close. Uh, yeah, we can go see those. We could, we could <laughs> we mush go, them. <laughs> we can go check those out. If you'll indulge me a little further into the supernatural folklore of the island, here we go. Yeah. Catalina is also considered to be a hotbed of UFO activity. Okay. The first major one happened on July 8th, 1947, not even a week after the events at Roswell, when at 1 p.m., hundreds of people saw six discs flying fast from the northeast over Avalon, then over East Peak. They flew in two sets of three, and as estimated by some Army Air Corps veterans that saw it, they were going 850 miles per hour. Um, that, that's weird. Uh, that, then on April 15th, 1966, at 9.45 a.m., a silver disc flew through the sky at around 170 miles per hour. This was explained as a weather balloon. Sure. It's always a weather balloon. I've never even seen a weather balloon. Are yeah, they I be, real? I would be just as excited. So then on January 26th, I believe 1980, a pilot named Noah Felice was having lunch with his cousin when his cousin told him that he had some thyroid condition and he only had five months to live. So Felice decided they should fly to Las Vegas right then and there. So they took, there's only one cure. <laughs> and their name are Siegfried and Roy. Take one every six hours as necessary. Uh, Call me in the morning. <laughs> but I won't answer because it's Vegas, baby. <laughs> they took off because he had a plane. They took off from the airport there. But right after they took off, they noticed a huge object under the water in Ripper's Cove. It was long and gray and it was way too big to be a whale. So they flew over it to get a better look. And when they got near it, it shot a bright beam of light at them. And they're like, well, that's weird. Let's do it again. So then they came around for a second pass and got hit with the light again. But this time the plane got filled with this golden yellowish liquid and then the engine cut out. And then his cousin turned to him and said, this is the kind of place I could spend eternity. And then they both started giggling uncontrollably. And then they nosedived through the light towards the thing under the water. Felice says he has no memory of the impact. But once they were in the water, he saw shadows moving. And then his cousin moved into a light that he couldn't follow. And then they got pulled out of the water into a rescue boat. And Felice was really badly injured, but his cousin died. Wow. Okay. So that that's that, the big UFO thing on Catalina wow. Island. So there's yeah. something under the water that's shooting gold yeah. liquid into... That's a really weird it's story. It's a very strange story. It sounds story. like a dream. I've shot a lot of gold liquid into that water, and <laughs> I never have a story like that. I just have a restraining order. <laughs> All I got from it is some sort of certificate I have to show my neighbors, right? <laughs> I don't like to brag, but I have to go door to door and tell everybody about it. <laughs> so let's get back to the island in the early 1800s. By 1805, Spain's grip on the island was being challenged as more and more Russians, Americans, and Aleutians were coming to the otter-rich waters around Catalina to hunt them for their pelts, which sold very well in China, which I feel like is like most of the work being done in Los Angeles, I feel like is being because China's yeah, buying China. it. Now they're called movies. <laughs> what used to be fur pelts is <laughs> now, now movies. movies. So Spain had a hard time keeping these poachers away because Spain didn't provide enough ships in the area yeah. to monitor things properly. They just gave us padres who drank too much. Don't wake padre. <laughs> this was a sign of the times because uh, Spain was losing its grip on the area. And once yeah. Mexico took over Alta California, that included Catalina Island. So now it's Mexico. But under Mexico's rule, there were no taxes. So the only way the government could make money was to impose tariffs on imported goods. And these tariffs were close to 100% of the value of the goods. So just give me the stuff. <laughs> just take it and then <laughs> we'll sell me. it back to you and <laughs> you can go sell it. So to get around this, the ship 
ships coming in to bring goods into Los Angeles would first make a stop at Catalina, okay. unload two thirds of their goods, hide them in caves or in the sand, <laughs> then go to the port of LA, declare the goods they had, pay the taxes, get permission to trade along the coast, go back to Catalina Island, pick up their stuff, sell it along the coast tax free. This is called smuggling. <laughs> so, <laughs> smuggling 101. <laughs> classic smugglers. So Catalina became a smuggler's cove. Eventually, there were even warehouses set up blatantly on the island to house the soon, these soon to be yeah. illegal goods. One such place was Bradshaw's Fort, which is built in 1827, where Avalon now is, and it stood until 1886. It made it the island a smuggler's paradise. It was Maz Kanata's. Uh, <laughs> uh, we hang out, we smuggle. We smuggle. We, we do. <laughs> I, I don't write musicals anymore. But not many. I wrote West Side Story. But not many people. It was about Catalina Island. <laughs> the Jets were. The Jets were the UFOs. <laughs> it was Pimovit versus Spaniards. It was beautiful. Very underrated, in my yeah. opinion, the writer. Not many people, though, when it was a smuggler's paradise. Uh, I also wrote that song, which was a parody of the Weird Al parody of Gangster's Paradise. <laughs> it was just normal. Gangster's parody. When you do a parody of a parody, it just turns out to be a normal song. <laughs> a negative times a negative is a positive. <laughs> which is another rap of mine. <laughs> Smuggler's Paradise, not many people actually living on the yeah. island. People visited the now P-Movie-less island like the smugglers and a few pirates. Jedediah Smith visited in December 1826. 1826 May the 4th be with you, 1826. <laughs> Jedediah Smith is a real person, by the way. But, but I don't know anymore. <laughs> Are we still telling that guy's story when he crashed the plane? And then Daniel Boone pulled him out of the water. <laughs> but the first non-native to build a permanent home on the island, again, this gets a little weird, was a man named Samuel Prentice. So Prentice was part of the crew of an American warship in Peru when he deserted the warship and joined a ship called the Danube before it shipwrecked near San Pedro in San Pedro, San Pedro. You're falling apart, old boy. I'm not from Iowa. <laughs> so this happened on Christmas Eve, 1828, and Prentice and the survivors were taken to Mission San Gabriel, where Prentice met a Pimungan chief named Turia, who told him of a buried treasure hidden on Catalina Island. So there's three stories of where this treasure came from. One is that aliens brought it. One is that giants brought it. Thanks, <laughs> It. There was a trade tariff there. Aliens would stop there to hide their goods before they did trade on Mars, which was inhabited by giants. Either this treasure was the collected riches of the Pimuvit that they buried on the island before the last of them were taken to the mission, or it was a treasure that was stolen from the mission in 1804 and hid on the island, or it was the loot of the Spanish warship, the Santa Ana, that the famous English pirate Sir Thomas Cavendish stole and supposedly buried on Catalina Island. So whatever it was, it was treasure and Prentice wanted it so he had the chief draw a map for him of where the trevor uh, where the trevor where the trevor that's my new travel show it's a, <laughs> you're trying to my find your trevor. Son. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like taken but it's a travel show <laughs> is my son here is my son in this village my every son. time i go to a village it burns down the day before i get there is my son here <laughs> so he had a map of the treasure drawn for him map of where the treasure was buried drawn for got him. it got it under a big w got it a big w yeah under a big chicago cubs win <laughs> and he got a ship and sailed towards catalina but on the way there the map got blown overboard and it was lost forever but still prentice thought i think i remember where it yeah is. I, I got the gist of it go east it's on the island i know <laughs> that so he continued to the island convinced he could still find this treasure so he thought it was either at johnson's landing which is now emerald bay or tim's landing which is now avalon if it was in avalon it was supposedly near a banyan tree near a spring on the south side of what is now clarissa avenue as specific as that guess was he could not find the treasure but he set up a home at johnson's landing and lived there until he died in 1854 searching for the treasure the whole time. So that was the first non-native to live on the island. 
but the yes. no, I was gonna make fun of him. Go ahead. Don't no, don't don't, don't. off limits. Treasure hunters off limits off on this limits. show. But the first one to actually own land on the island was a naturalized Mexican citizen named Thomas Robbins, who was given the island as a land grant from Governor Pio Pico in 1846, possibly in exchange for a horse with a silver saddle. And this turned out to be the last land grant that the Mexican government ever gave in California, because just four days after this, California was invaded by the United States. Weren't they just selling off properties so quick at that point before U.S. took over? I like, guess so. Oh, have yeah. this, have this. I want that house yeah, and saddle. <laughs> that horse looks really fast and that saddle will make me go faster. So Robbins put an end to the smuggling that was going on and set up a rancho on the island to maintain the land. But around this time, the squatters came in and tried taking claim on parts of the island. Squatters. squatters. So the squatters came and they were started raising sheep and cattle and Robbins didn't want to deal with that. So in 1850, he sold the island to Jose Maria Covarrubias for $10,000, who then went on to sell it on October 13th, 1853 to a man from San Francisco named Albert Packard for $1,000, cursing it as an ugly wart. <laughs> Still most expensive wart I've ever bought. <laughs> then over the next few years, Packard splits up the island and sells it off to four men named James Ray, Walter Hawkshurst, Eugene Sullivan and C.M. Hitchcock. So over this time, the number of settlers and squatters raising livestock increased so that by 1863, there were some 15,000 sheep, 8,000 goats, 4,000 cattle, and 100 humans, including the first non-native born on the island named Louisa Ben Stoll, born at Ben Ranch in 1857. She's the first person. First of the colonizers, of colonizers yeah, to be born, born on the, the island. island. Yeah. There were the German Johnson brothers who settled what is now the Avalon Valley. There were the Howlands who went on to plant the fig trees on what was then F Street to commemorate the re-election of Abraham Lincoln, which I, I'm guessing those trees are still there. Not I didn't see any fig yeah. trees. I don't even know what a fig tree looks like. Uh, fig is the old work for fake. <laughs> Just like that fake. treasure, it's fig. There was still some smuggling going on, but this time it was human smuggling of Chinese immigrants trying to come into the country to find jobs working on the Transcontinental Railroad. So they would be smuggled into Ironbound Bay, Lobster Bay, and Smuggler's Cove, and then housed at what became known and still is known as China Point. This was called the China Boy Traffic. I don't like that. It was sponsored by David Bowie. Is that China Boy or China Doll? It's China Girl. I prefer China Boy. Um, Oh, um, we're... What do you mean? What do you mean? What are you playing? So the most exciting days on the island at this time, other than China Boy days, were <laughs> <laughs> there was election day and sheep shearing day. Those were the those... sheep shearing, like cutting their yeah. fur off. Okay. Yeah. Gather around, bring all 15,000 of your favorite sheep. But half of the people living on the island, though, were minors, not underage people, minors, because Catalina had a little false gold rush. Oh, it was okay. fig gold. This gold's fig. In the early 1830s, a man named George C. Yunt was on an otter hunting expedition aboard the Refugio, which we've actually talked about that yeah, boat before. Cool. It was the first schooner built in Los Angeles and was built by our old friend William Wolfskill. Oh, that's right. This is what it came to do. So they came to the island and Yunt discovered what he called a ledge of gold-bearing quartz. But when he came back to the island after the expedition to try to find some gold, he couldn't find that ledge again. <laughs> what is it? People get turned around on this two-mile stretch it's, of land? It's lost, man. So he came back three times over the next 20 years, but he never found it. But then in 18 18- 1963, a geologist named Dr. Cooper surveyed the island and decided that there could potentially be minerals to be found on the island, and one of these minerals could possibly be gold. So on that strong hunch, the first claim was made in April of that year by Daniel Way at the Isthmus on the island, and he called it Monmouth Claim. So that was the first claim. Monmouth. Then came more and more, and actual mines were built in Cherry Valley, 4th of July Valley, and Mineral Hill, with names like the Shining Star Mine, Great Eastern Mine, Ben Franklin Lode, and the 
gem of the ocean, <laughs> which was very popular on China Boy Day. <laughs> Keep me away from Ben Franklin's load. A penny saved is a penny splued. <laughs> I like that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. They even planned to build a big city at what was Wilson Harbor on the west side of the island. So this was going to be the metropolis for the mining district, and it was going to be called Queen Silly. Queen Silly. Queen City. But the thing was, nobody was actually finding gold. Everyone was digging, but if they did find any gold, it was not of valuable yeah, amounts. Yeah, it's just sparkly stuff. Yeah, they found what I find panning for gold at the Autry Museum. Right. That's what they had. Yeah. So what they were finding was a type of ore made of a few types of minerals like lead and zinc and silver. So there was silver, yeah. but the process of extracting it from these ores was so expensive that the industry failed. And then the Civil War hit. No. It happened. Finally, there are two stories of why the military got involved with Catalina Island in 1864, which is weird. There were rumors that the Confederacy wanted a stronghold in the West and were thinking of using Catalina as its base because they wanted a port on the West Coast and Los Angeles was sympathetic to the Confederacy for the most part. Unfortunately. No. 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 No, it made sense back then. You'll see. So it seemed like this is the place to do it. The Union didn't want this because then the rebels would have used Catalina as a base to attack Union ships along the trade route and also they were Confederates and they didn't want them anywhere. So (laughs) It's not just here. Yeah, mainland (laughs) islands. We don't care. We don't want you anywhere. You can't even have San Rafael Island. Work your own plantation. So the other story was that the natives in Northern California were resisting settlement, so they thought that turning Catalina Island into a reservation for them would be a good solution to that. So it would have been a native reservation. But this apparently was a plan made by the commander of the Military Division of the Pacific and not the Secretary of the Interior. So for both these stories, there's no official record of why the military came, but they did. On January 1st, 1864, Union soldiers from Fort Drum in Wilmington, led by Captain B.R. Rest of the Union Army's 4th California infantry sailed to Catalina Island and claimed it in the name of the Republic. There were several dozen soldiers and they built a barracks at what was then Union Harbor, which is now two harbors, and kicked out all the squatters from the island and most of the miners. So this made Catalina Island the Civil War's westernmost outpost, which is so weird. Whatever the reason they were there for, on September 20th of the same year, they abandoned the plan and left the island. Aliens. (laughs) They were scared. It was really spooky. They saw these giant shadows. So they took with them the last of the miners, as soldiers do. Their barracks are still there and is now home to the Isthmus Yacht Club. From 1864 to 1867, the island went through a sort of consolidation of ownership where a man named James Lick bought the island piece by piece from the four men who had owned it before until September 16th, 1867, when the entire island became his after spending $92,000 in total on it. Hey, that's nothing, man. Back then? Oof. No, it's even less back then. Ah, It was a weird time in American history. (laughs) So Lick, who's not of Lick Pier, by the way. Okay. Okay, I was asking. Yeah, it wasn't him. Oh, there's a lot of licks to be had. How many licks does it take to get through the history of Los Angeles? About three. Three. Oh, one, the, a two. Because then the giant owl that haunts <laughs> Catalina Island came and ate it. So he was the owner of Rancho Los Feliz. And on top of that, at the time, he was one of the richest, I think it was the richest man in California. He also had a beard like a turtleneck. Like, look up a picture of him. It's okay. kind of gross. A licks plant for the island. It's not a beard you would want to lick. You tried to, but you want <laughs> He was going to sell the whole island to a British mining company to strip it of all of its silver once for all. This is, again, another weird part of the story. He sent Major Max Strobel, who was the first mayor of Anaheim, he sent him to London to seal the deal for 200,000 pounds, but he never showed up to the meeting, and they went to his hotel room, and he was found dead in his hotel room, and the cause of death has never been known. Oh, wow. 
Wow. Yeah, weird, weird stuff. Aliens, giants, owls. Owls. So with that plan a bust, Lick affected most of the squatters that had cropped up again on the island, one of whose name was Mark Twain. And <laughs> His <laughs> the, fake name was Samuel Clemens. This left only three people who agreed to work for him on the island tending to the livestock that were there. One of these guys was named John Sullivan, who was supposedly an escaped convict that was living in a cabin at Ismith's Cove. So this was how things Jesus went on Catalina Christ. Island. <laughs> so this was how things went on Catalina Island for some 20 years. Just a few guys tending sheep and cattle and occasional visits from Chinese and Japanese fishermen until during the summer, people decided to camp out on the beach to get away from the heat in the mainland. Lovely. Greg, tell me about that. Okay, so first, let's, I'm going to just talk about what I'm going to cover. And first of all, just to say this ahead of time, it's pretty basic. Catalina, pretty basic, guys. Thanks. We can go in depth later about stuff that we'd really like. Yeah. But for now, this is just a basic history. <laughs> when we decided to do Catalina and then we're like, well, this is how we should divide it. It was yeah. like, well... That, gonna, that is not one episode. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason we divided the Dodgers up. Like, it yeah. just makes more sense. So I'm just going to talk about how it developed into a resort area. And yeah. how, like the almost the Abbott Kinney vision. If he yeah. had a Venice, this is the similar of Catalina. Yeah. 1880s. Boosters are coming to California, such as Charles Loomis. And they were selling SoCal as a playground of the world and selling Catalina as a vacation away from their paradise living in SoCal. Because everybody was moving to Pasadena. All these rich people yeah, were moving to Pasadena. Isn't that weird? I need a vacation from paradise. Yeah, Pasadena uh, is just too much for me. I've got to get to Catalina. So yeah, they're all from the Midwest, New England. They all moved to Pasadena. And yeah, during the hot summers, they're trying to get away, trying to go near the beach. But the beach had a lot of riffraff. Riffraff. Riff, street rat. That's another musical I wrote. <laughs> it's called The Colonization of Los Angeles <laughs> and Aladdin Story. <laughs> Starring Robin Williams. <laughs> Not as the genie, though. He's just Robin Williams. And it's pretty sad. So there was a population boom in the 1880s in Los Angeles. Because of that, the isolation that Catalina offered had value to the residents and the private investors. The island failed as a typical agricultural or commercial center, as we talked about. You know, to be honest, talking about when I was at, to bring it back to me, to talk yeah. talking about when I was at Catalina, when I went as an adult, it was exactly that, to just like, I want to be secluded. Like, yeah. that's why I wanted to go. That's the promise that they make with Catalina? Like, that's weird. Remind me at the end to tell you my ghost story from Catalina also. Absolutely. Teaser. <laughs> Write that down. When did you go when, before you were an adult? How old are you? I was like eight. Do you remember anything from it? Yeah, I remember I was there with my mom and my sister and we rented a golf cart and I got to put my foot on the gas gas for a little bit. How did you feel? Power? Uh, the first I, time? That was where I developed my love for NASCAR. <laughs> but what was weird was I think I had rollerblades on at the time and they still were like, yeah, you can use the gas for a little bit. I don't know why I was wearing rollerblades. <laughs> death wish yeah let's yeah. just see what happens <laughs> my whole family had a death wish you can press the gas and the brake but you should have a skateboard in between your feet <laughs> and the pedals okay so at the turn of the century coastal areas of LA from Santa Monica to Long Beach were establishing beachfront amusements boardwalks piers inexpensive hotels we know all about that and all these areas were connected either by train or trolley there's no real cars yet around this time I'm trying to place when this was a big deal it might have been later in the 20th century but like so there's no Vegas at the time LA was still developing I think if I get the, my timeline right the thriving Catalina was the opposite end, the polar end of Tijuana. Like you were either going to Tijuana to this rowdy border town and yeah. getting messed up and trash in this what you thought was exotic, but it's really just like a border town, <laughs> or you go and you live leisurely yeah. isolated on Catalina. Like it, they were like the two it, opposites of the same coin like, of needing to get away from LA. Like the, Island Palm Springs. Exactly. <laughs> Island Palm Springs. So Lick dies, right? Oh no. No, he dies. Well, I didn't get that far. The trustees of the James Lick estate sell it to a man named George Chateau from Michigan. Him and a group of partners buy the island. Is Chateau or Chateau? 
chateau. I say chateau. I don't know. You say chateau. I, I say, say chateau. chateau. Chateau knows. Him and a group of partners buy the island in 1887 for $200,000. At the time, the only village there like was Tim's Landing, which was still going. That was the curviest part of the bay, the Bay of the Moons. And boy, oh, oh baby. give me. <laughs> oh, uh, how wide is this isthmus? <laughs> a word I can't really say. It only consisted of some shacks. Very isthmus to me. <laughs> isthmus came early. And it swears that it only happened once. That's or not what? the joke. I know. It swears it never happened before. I'm trying to read and talk and listen at the same time. It's not going well. And it's being recorded, which is a fourth thing. Tim's Landing only had some shacks and cabins used by fishermen at this point. Towards the end of the beach was the only business on the island. It was a hardware store. The island had a pier full of steamers, which are steamships. And the first actual residents were Etta and Edna Whitney, who was Chateau's sister. They lived in the first house built on Avalon in a wood frame house, which still stands on this day. Yeah, yeah I think I know which one that is. It's kind of up elevated a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think it's on a hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a really weird house that now I know what it is. Yeah, that's what Not it so is. Not so weird anymore. Thanks for ruining the mystery. At the corner of Maria and Vildulo. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know Catalina. Yeah, I yeah. know Verdulo. I've been looking at maps of Catalina wishing I can go there. On July 27th of 1889, the U.S. Post Office on the island opened. Really? That's, yeah, they got one. Wow. <laughs> We're taking mail now. As soon as two people move in, they're like, okay, we need a post office. Where what, are they if gonna- they, what if they have to send each other letters? <laughs> so then came a big deal on the island, Hotel Metropole. That opens up in Tim Landings, constructed by Chateau. It was originally built in 1888. It's a large three-story wooden structure with a lot of windows, which displayed views of the bay. The Metropole had several dormers, had a half dozen chimneys and two covered patios. Also built that year was the Holly Hill House by Pasadena civil engineer, Peter Cano. He Welcome built- the Holly Hill House. I kept thinking like, is that the haunted one? No. And it's not even haunted. Like, whatever. Is that the atmospheric one? <laughs> not it's, atmospheric. It's an atmospheric house. Nah. <laughs> it's haunted sen- by mood. I'm sensing a vibe. Nah. It's a beautiful Queen Anne-style cottage overlooking Avalon Bay. Cano came to the island to help build a fresh water system and fell in love with it. Now it's privately owned, so you can't tour it, but it still stands. George Chateau planned on calling this area Chateau City, but his sister, right? it's either his sister or his sister-in-law, Edna Whitney, stepped in and suggested a name from a book she had been reading. It's the story of King Arthur. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird that I mentioned King Arthur when I was talking about the $10 bookstore. Yeah, it's the $10 bookstore now. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Did I mention that the people working at the $10 bookstore were nine feet tall <laughs> and they kept shooting this yellow liquid at me and I said, Daddy like? Did I mention that? <laughs> I don't think that came up, but uh, here's the full story. <laughs> we assumed. Ah, so she's reading, she, at the time she's reading the King Arthur book, whatever it's called. Ideals or Idols? The Idols of the King, I think okay. it's called. In the passage, a dying Arthur says, spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> a dying Arthur says that he is bound for the island valley of, it's pronounced Avilion, where falls not hail nor rain or any snow hmm. nor ever wind blows loudly there i will heal me of my grievous wound so chateau liked it but still changed the name around enough from avilion to avalon that's where we get avalon huh. from so instead of chateau city it was avalon that's what I'm <laughs> get at. he says chateau city and she's like no that's dumb that's dumb let's name it after king arthur how about we call it george chateau city that's still dumb how about chateau chateau <laughs> so it sort of thrives at this time it has visitors it has some permanent population there's a newspaper and it sells catalina as both a resort leisure vacation and a place of outdoor activities but the cost of travel and fresh water supply proved to be too much for anybody to handle so 1892 after struggling to keep up with the mortgage payments he has to sell the island back to its original odor 
Poseidon. No, uh, James <laughs> like trusted. He, he tried to push it down into the water like Norman Bates. <laughs> Take shot. it back. Take it back. Drown it. And it just keeps popping back up. Dredge the Pacific. <laughs> I know it's down there. So after James Lick gets it back after a couple of years, from there it is purchased by the three sons of Harbor King Phineas Banning, who yeah. we mentioned in the arcade episode. He'd built a lot of rails. The that, arcade episode? Not, it's not an arcade episode. It was the Lost Landmarks. I'll talk about arcade building uh, and wolf skill and I talk about uh, Phineas Banning. He uh, started up yeah. all these lines. He was known for his transportation. The San Pedro Harbor, it was like his baby. He's credited as being one of the founders of modern Los Angeles. He can, like I just said, he controlled rails and wagons and ocean freight lines in the West, and it was incredibly wealthy. After his death in 1884, remember he got hit by a wagon. His sons, now in their 30s, took <laughs> control of the banning operation. We made a lot of jokes about. Uh, yeah, I feel I like coming rails. back. Yeah, I, I created a rail system and a wagon killed me. A lot of jokes about a dead man, and we sh- we're told not to do that anymore. Our <laughs> we sponsors were... don't like it when we do that. Yeah. Our sponsors, the Church of England, don't <laughs> like it when we do that. So the three sons, Huey, Dewey, and Louis, uh, the three <laughs> sons, William, Hancock, and Joseph, they buy the island for $280,000. Prices are going up. Yeah, it's starting to make more sense now. You can't even afford an island anymore? It's only two miles. <laughs> it's not even a big island. It's not Hawaii. Two years later, they formed the SCIC, the Santa Catalina Island Company. The Batting family of Phineas Batting, like I said, owned the island from 1892 to 1919. They improved transportation and accommodations in order to rake in more people, more money. At the time, the primary source of income for them was ship passenger fees. That's how they made their most mm. money. You can only come to Catalina on, on, their on their boat you buy a ticket with them and that's how they make their money I feel like that's still how they make their money <laughs> it's not a monopoly like they had set up mm. but yeah that's getting there is how they're going to try to gouge you getting there is half the price it's actually the full price Banding and the Santa Catalina <laughs> Island Company created the first corporate resort in the west it's like a Yosemite or a Yellowstone or Grand Canyon meaning there's an area and there's an attraction so then an entire thing builds around like everybody who lives near Yosemite can sell like mm. oh, we're the store that's near Yosemite so you can buy all this stuff before you go to Yosemite. Like, it's stuff like that. But what made them more successful than their predecessors was that Bannings, like I just said, they can control the shipping of importing and exporting since it was Banning staple transportation and freight liners and stuff. Since they owned all the means for production and everything, they owned all the liners. They didn't have to pay anyone. They cut out the middle guy. So it was free to them to just move stuff did, in. What, and, did they run the ferries themselves? I mean, they probably had to pay a couple people <laughs> to run a ferry. <laughs> but I'm sure they knew how to like work an oar. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't <Ooh>. or, but- <laughs> <laughs> Come on, banning bros. <laughs> In fact, the boats used for tourist access during George Chateau's years were owned by the Wilmington Transportation Company, a subsidiary of Banning Company, which is probably how they got the idea. They've always owned the boat. They've always owned the boats. Like they own the transportation to the island. So if you own the transportation island, it's all profits at that point, basically. I don't know. I, I don't know maritime law. So between owning the means of transportation and Chateau's hotel metropole for lodging, the Bannings were ready to create a resort island. So they have a beautiful hotel and they have a way to get to the island. So now they could start building it as this resort island. A lot of the promise of Catalina, like we were talking about, was the isolation. And with that, and you also control how to get there, it meant that you can control the population, meaning it would be easier to make this resort town only accessible to Sounds desirables. Like a experiment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can only let the certain people that you like, the desirable, since they were social elite, they wanted the social elite to take over this island, basically. And they can keep out undesirables, people of lower income bracket or people of different cultures or ethnicities. They didn't need them on the island since it's still 1910s America. Like it's still going to be a big thing. The only time you would see people of color, which included Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, African-Americans, Japanese, Japanese-Americans, and some right. ethnic whites. China Boy Day? Yeah, China Boy Day would be in working or labor positions. They were allowed on the island in those positions, in those <laughs> capacities. Some people who were used to just docking on Chateau's Island were not treated with the same regard on Banning's Island, because if you didn't go there on a Banning ship, you weren't allowed to be there. <laughs> so if you didn't make a lot of money and couldn't 
afford to take a banding freight to the island and hope that you could sail your own rinky-dink boat to the island, a gypsy boat, as they were called, which is a problematic term. You were in for a surprise because if you rolled up to the island, you could only enjoy like a small sliver of the island, which it was between like <laughs> we low... We call it Trash Cove <laughs> Paradise. <laughs> enjoy. Pick up some trash while you're down there. Clean your way to the island. There's a small sliver of land between low tide and high tide on Avalon Beach where you were allowed to go that was public. Really? So it would literally be underwater during the times they mm-hmm. didn't want you there? Yeah. They used the tides against them. Like Tiger Lily and Peter Pan. Tide, tide, Peter Pan. She's fine now, but in a couple hours, she's going to be underwater. <laughs> I, it- I also wrote the Peter Pan musical. <laughs> it's also starring Robin Williams. So if you land on low tide and you're there and you try to make, as the book puts it, if you try to make a run for town, <laughs> you would be accosted. Brawls would happen over this. Make a run for town? What do you just sit down at a restaurant and be like, I don't know. I don't know what the commotion I is. I mean, I haven't eaten in two days. I've been lost on a raft, but I'm going to try to get food from the restaurant. Oh, now I'm being beaten up. <laughs> the Sado Canalina Island Company eventually installed barbed wire fences oh and seawalls and used fire hoses to fend off mainland oh illegals who tried to dock off of their tramp boats. No hoboing in paradise. What? If, what can't you just go around? I'm not saying. Well, couldn't they just have... Could, the, yeah. But what if you went around the other side of the island? I think like, that there's only... around the island? I, maybe. I haven't been there, so I don't know what it's like, the layout. But there's barbed wire everywhere. It, this beautiful resort island has barbed wire everywhere. It was Tasteful. A, it was reported, but not confirmed, that the Bannings weren't above wading into the surf to throw interlopers back out for a swim, which is dumb because waves are just going to bring them back out. Like, if you were coming on a raft, the Banning brothers would go out there and <laughs> shove you back no, out. You don't. No, you don't. No, wrong, 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 wrong. Doors are closed. How petty that must look to see these three brothers yeah. wading in their tuxedos, in their tuxedos through the tide, pushing a raft high in with the ocean. alien Gonzalez in it. <laughs> so they also hired plainclothes detectives at the ferry terminal to turn away undesirable visitors. On the mainland? Yeah, on the mainland. So after a series of pickpockets at the beach area, they were able to do that and have people screen because now it's protecting the island and now like, oh, we're just looking, make sure that we don't want pickpockets. But they use that as a guise to like, yeah. oh yeah, you can't come on. So as it was in the truest sense with the population segregation in the truest sense, the boosters in paradise pitch made to Americans to get them to buy land. It's healthy, leisurely life full of sunshine and whites only. Like it's <laughs> like it's everything that the boosters were selling to in land of sunshine to people. Here's another story. The USPS, the Postal Service, which opened up there, had troubles with abandoning and Catalina. The post office at Avalon was required by law to be accessible to all and not just those who'd paid the bannings to get to the island. So if you had a letter sent to the island and needed to get it, the bannings can't <laughs> legally charge you what? for a trip to get to it. But the bannings weren't having any of that. And the relationship between these three rich boys and the USPS became so hostile that eventually the post office had to relocate. So its office was closer to the edge of the island and they had their back door on the high tide line, which was public what? land. So you can come up on public land to the back door and they can give you your mail and then you can leave on your private boat since you don't have to pay the bannings to get there because that's legal to ask for. You had to exchange it for a pail of abalone. (laughs) So there was a loophole that you could like get a letter sent to you on the island and then like, well, I need a free trip because I got to pick up my mail. And they're like, well, actually, you can use your own boat and go to the back door, but you're not allowed on the island. That's the Bannings. The Bannings were responsible for a lot of stuff, changing Catalina in order to make those boosterism promises factual. If this island venture was to be successful, people actually had to want to go there. It had to go from being a rock-filled island to a vast scenic resort island. It had to become a tourist destination. A lot of these boosters, like Charles Loomis and everybody, they're trying to sell the orange crate labels, like mm-hmm. the idea of that. And Catalina was one of the closest visions of this, and it was it could be done because it was such a... The land of no oranges. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to build up that enthusiasm to want to come. Bannings did a lot as far as 
Treasures Island promotion. They're printing pamphlets, guidebooks, promotional photos. The word innumerable was used in describing their Catalina materials. The model for the island also was... Also describing the number of bones that Dr. <laughs> Galen had. Oh, I didn't name this segment. I had a name for it. Staycation. Okay. <laughs> Staycation, all, all I ever wanted. Did you write that too? Are you Belinda Carlisle? Yeah. Oh, I didn't mention... <laughs> New host, Belinda Carlisle. But when I wrote it, Robin Williams was in that song. <laughs> also, very sad. The model for the island was, in all the world, no trip like this. Isn't that the slogan for 2001, A Space Odyssey? Is it? No, their slogan is the ultimate trip, but it sounds... Uh, That's dumb for that movie. Uh, hey, that was the rebranding years later when okay. they were like, hey, hippies will like yeah, this. Yeah, so, this seems like acid things. Yeah, that was the rebranding. I agree, it's okay. dumb. But it's not as dumb as no, Catalina uh, Island. Uh, I mean, what are they on acid? Um, Which was not a thing in the early 20th century. Acid was just bad back then. Yeah, it was just kind of burns your hand and your mom yells at you for burning your hand and you're like, I, mean, I need to go to the hospital. Please. We shouldn't have left this acid ever. <laughs> yeah, why are you a scientist? <laughs> you shouldn't have dropped you? acid, mom. Anyways, the Hotel Metropole was expanded and remodeled and construction began on the tent cabin area called the Island Villa, which was being built as the largest one-story hotel on Earth. They were these wood frame cabins with canvas covering the unit and was affectionately referred to as Rag City, but it was this huge area of small <laughs> also, cabins. It's also the name of the place that the undesirables were allowed <laughs> to go to. How, uh, I also wrote the music for Rag City. How big could a one-story hotel be? What they, what they mean is it looks like a little shantytown. They're little cabins, like Paradise. a one or two <laughs> unit cabin. It was quaint and cute and they were like a wood frame with a canvas. It's, like, it's a tent, but also like it's it's made of with wood. We won't feel roaches crawling under your tent. <laughs> you could stay in Rag City tent cabin for a dollar fifty night for a basic arrangement or and two dollars for amenities. It's not bad. No, I'm not paying that much. So there was also the Pilgrim Club built in 1902. The Pilgrim Club, as if the name didn't turn you off already, <laughs> was all male, no ladies, and it was a gambling club. Why did guys like that? Like send me to all the female gambling clubs, like Rooster in the Hen House. Like why do guys like no women allowed? Because we can go around farting racial slurs, <laughs> <laughs> farting sexual harassment. Men are awful. The Pilgrim Club was owned and operated by New York capitalists and was decorated gaudily with Turkish rugs and leather furniture and a chandelier in the center of the big room supposedly cost $300,000. It was called a mini Monte Carlo. At that place now is the Avalon Hotel, 124 Whitley Avenue. 1906, the Inner Mountain Railroad opened for passengers, which was an incline railway created to help passengers ascend a 30% incline up a hill from the amphitheater to Buena Vista Park. The lines on the island were funicular like Angel's Flight, so it was like a rail that counterbalanced itself, whatever the word is. Funicular. counterbalances the word. <laughs> Another line opened up which ran... Fulcrum? Is it Fulcrum? <laughs> Another line opened up which ran down to Lover's Cove where oh. the glass bottom boats dock. Every book I read about Catalina, no matter how judgmental towards banning and the island and segregation, no matter how bad, always mentions how fantastic and wonderful the glass bottom boats were. I've been on a glass bottom boat I've before. never been on one. I've it's only like, seen jokes in Simpsons about it. It's all the joys of snorkeling, but without the horror of being of in the water. Being in the water, yeah, yeah. Being within arm's reach of a shark. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds really neat. I'd like to do it. It's pretty scary. I mean, for, for a guy like me, a guppy. I imagine you're on the boat, which I'm is rocking. B- you're feeling the waves. Shrimp. You're looking down at what's below you, and you're thinking, that's where I'll drown. And then I'll come up, but I'll come up on the glass bottom, <laughs> and I'll think that I'm going to yeah. hit a hole. You'll be like the faces under the dead marshes in Lord of the Rings. I know everything, that guy. What? Everything, everything's Lord of the Rings. Recently, everything's been Lord of the Rings with you. <laughs> I saw them all. Glass bottoms boats were introduced by a man we'll talk about in a moment, Charles F. Holder. He claimed that the boats were first constructed after locals saw him using a box with a glass 
last bottom to observe marine life on Avalon, but he wasn't the first person nor the inspiration. It was an abalone fisherman in 1890 that devised and constructed a glass bottom for a rowboat to make it easier to fish. Then scientists, fishermen, and naturalists would start using this thing, and then tourists got a gander of it. And this neat thing became a trend that led to a craze, and the first tours of the glass bottom boats started in 1895 to look upon the marine gardens of Avalon, which were a sailing point. You could see kelp gardens, schools of fish, sea urchins, starfish, octopi, jellyfish. You'd see underwater rock formations with names like the Great Divide and Yosemite <laughs> and the Great Canyon of the Sea. What about that UFO? Did they find that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, they'd beam a light and then the boat filled up with gold and then your cousin was dead and you're like, we weren't even on the boat. <laughs> How'd you get here? How'd you get here? These are the dead marshes. Package tour for guests included these trips along with lodging a meal. So was, they were building up these like really great outdoorsy, adventurous things for people when they came to, yeah. to Catalina. As time went on, the affluent people who came to LA to strike it rich came to Catalina for their own reasons and would boost the island themselves. They weren't even like employed by the Bannings. They came to Avalon and were like, oh, this is neat and would just hype it up. One of the most influential people to roam the island was, like I just said, Charles Frederick Holder. He was from the same town as Charles Loomis, Lynn, Massachusetts. Did he walk here? You know, I had to look that up because I'm like, <laughs> is this a thing that people from Massachusetts do? It's a rite of passage. He was invited to the island by George Chateau himself. Holder was born in 1851. He came to LA in 1885. He had served as the assistant curator of zoology at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, as well as writing nerd books on Darwin. And he came to Southern California, like I said, in 1885 to recoup from a lung infection, just like Loomis had come, except he was a drunk and he came to solve that. He came here with the confidence that a job was waiting for him and he got here and the job fell through, but he stayed and supported himself writing until he was hired permanently as a professor and department chair of the California Institute of Technology. He was also staying at the Hotel Raymond, which is a really old big thing in Pasadena. So he is now working at the California Institute of Technology. He continues to become a man about town and a socialite. He was an upper tier member of the Valley Hunt Club, which I talked about in the parade episode. And I talked about it in the parade episode because Charles Holder was the originator of the Rose Parade in Pasadena. So what really tickled this dork's fancy? Catalina. He <laughs> loves Southern California. He was one of those natural boosters of the area. He genuinely loved it and he hyped it for no financial gain whatsoever. He just loved it. I'm not familiar with the concept of loving and having enthusiasm. Of loving without financial promise. He came to the island. He studied marine life. He was very into Darwinism and studying animals and flora and fauna and stuff. He railed against what he called fish hogs, which are not aquatic pigs. <laughs> I saw your face. He means tourists who captured a lot of fish just to be photographed having caught a fish, fish massacre as he called it, and then would dump the fish back into the sea as to not tarnish Catalina's beauty. Fish hogs. Fish massacre. <laughs> fish hogs. You know fish hogs. He and a man named Henry Van Dyke fought to have restrictions put onto commercial fishing operations, but they failed. And because of that, later in the century, the fisheries of the coast of California, more in Central California, but kind of everywhere, they suffered a monumental downfall after the bay was robbed of all its marine life. This yeah, was something that happened I, I, later. I, I know John Steinbeck. Wow, I didn't have to say John Steinbeck, but you knew Canary Row was coming. I read Lord of the Rings. I know <laughs> all about John Steinbeck. <laughs> we have four hobbits. We have two men, an elf, we have a dwarf, and we have John Steinbeck. <laughs> and he's the one that turns. <laughs> We're not even out of, El- is it Elgrin? What does the elves live? Not Lothlorien. Elrond is the name of the guy. Oh, okay. Rivendell. Real Rivendell. We don't even make it out of Riverdale. <laughs> River- Riverdale. Archie was there. We've got Archie. We've got Jughead, Betty, and Veronica. The dwarves. Jughead has, has the ring. The cat has the ring. <laughs> That's what I'll the carry for. you, Jughead. <laughs> okay. I may not be able to carry the ring, but I can carry you, I can Jughead. I carry you, Jughead. <laughs> he puts his crown on and he disappears. 
No! Jughead! Oh, boy. Movie reference podcast in the guise of Alley History. Jughead movie? It's a show now. Jughead, a Star Wars movie. Where'd he get the crown? So, Van Dyke and Holder, more Holder. As part of his conservation, Holder founded the Catalina Tuna Club, which is the most delicious of the Kennel 40 Clubs. (laughs) It started in 1898. To become a member of this club, you had to be a man, which eventually that changed. Good for them. I'm out. You had to pay $100 to join a club, plus $10 for California residents. Keep in mind, it was $1.50 to rent a room, so $100 (laughs) is like, wow, okay. And you had to catch a tuna of at least 100 pounds or a swordfish of at least 200 pounds with a rod and reel and without someone helping you, no spotters. If you couldn't do this, you were welcome to become associate member. This is according to the IGFA.org. IG88 said this? Yeah. Dr. Charles F. Holder is known as the first man to catch a tuna with a rod and reel. He caught it off the southern coast of California near Catalina Island. If you caught a record-breaking tuna, guess what? You're the club. You gotta eat the whole thing in front of everybody. In front of the girl you had a crush on in elementary school. Ernest Hemingway also uh, yeah. has a story about a tuna. <laughs> old man in the tuna. Yeah. <laughs> the old man in the tuna club. A Riverdale story. <laughs> yeah, you became club president if you caught a record-breaking wow. tuna. Yeah. Let the boy try. King Arthur. <laughs> I pulled a tuna from the stone. <laughs> the, the swordfish and the stone. <laughs> Other noted members of the California Tuna Club include, but not limited to, ready for this? Yeah. The three Banning brothers, the owners of the island, were part of the club. Yeah. Henry Huntington of Huntington Gardens. Of course. Herbert Hoover. Hal Roach. George S. Patton. The general. Patton. Yeah. Patton. Really? Pete in the Rhine River. Patton. Yeah. Wow. Walter Raymond of the Raymond Hotel. Gifford Pinchot was a noted forester. Stan Laurel. <laughs> Stan Laurel caught a tuna. Now that I find hard to believe. <laughs> I think he has a picture in this book I have of him. I'll, we'll look it of up. Stan Laurel holding a tuna? He might just be on the dock. He's just holding a can of tuna. Nah, I, got I, it. Caught it. <laughs> I caught it. I caught it. Put up a fight. But <laughs> I got it. Bing Crosby. Tom Mix. Cecil Bill DeMille. You B- keep calling him Bill- Cecil Bill DeMille. We go it's over hard it. That's to say. the duck version of him. <laughs> Cecil B. DeMille. I'm just going to call Cecil DeMille. David Sarr Jordan. The president of Stanford University, polar explorer Admiral Robert Perry, honorary member, President Teddy Roosevelt. That's crazy. And Charlie Chaplin. I think Winston Churchill also was... He was also an honorary member, I believe. So they, so Winston Churchill and Teddy Roosevelt were on Catalina Island catching tunas. Yeah. Wicked tunas. That's one big tuna, Mr. President. <laughs> they were honorary members, so I'm sure they stopped by. They fished a little bit with the socialites and then still, they Still, the home. fact that they were there is yeah, weird. it's weird. The, the building president. is still there. It's like... Oh, it, that's right. It's on... It's right Cat- on the water. Yeah, it's, Catherine it, Way something I don't know it's right on the water okay yeah after reading that I desperately want to go see it you can't go in well, then, Unless, I mean, you have to catch a tuna. You got to catch a tuna. You got to be class president from the get go. So the club constitution stated clearly that these men cared about conservation. They wanted to achieve the protection of the game fishes of the state of California and to encourage and foster the catching of all fishes and especially tuna, yellowtail, sea bass with the lightest rod and reel tackle. I don't know what that means, but if there's someone Probably out there who likes like fishing, a stick with a string yeah, tied to yeah, it. Yeah, you had to make yourself yeah. from speaking a- of Hal Roach. He had our gang do the fishing. <laughs> for him. It was, had to be tied to your toe. Also, <laughs> the rod had to be like a can that you found at the junkyard. A main point of pride with these sport fishermen were doing this as a manly sport, a rugged outdoors club for men. At that point, the progressive era of being an outdoors man like Teddy Roosevelt meant that you were a man. Like, that's how they measured that. If you fished for a living, you were ineligible to join the club. By the way, what? if you fish for a living, like a commercial fisherman, you were a rugged outdoorsman. And yeah, why wouldn't... It wasn't like... For you, it's not a manly sport. This is how you live your life. This it, isn't like a bo- like faux boot. It's bougie. That's weird. They All didn't want to be 
shown up. At maybe. I think that because they were all about conservation, if you were a commercial fisherman catching fish with nets by the thousands, they didn't consider you part of that, so you were a different thing. But what also... If were, what if you were a sustainable fisherman? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people say that this is an attack on low-income workers because most commercial fishermen were Asians, Mexicans, ethnic white people. It says somewhere that many fishermen in Avalon were Italian. If you were doing commercial fishing, you were... But if they had $100 to join this club, how are they lower class than them? Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah, racism. That's That's what it is, yeah. That needs to be said before mentioning their efforts resulted in conservation legislation. By 1913, they had successfully gotten the island waters classified as a fish preserve where you can only do hook and line fish. Commercial fish netting was barred. Some people had to find elsewhere to do their career fishing or alter the ways they then they became recreational fishermen. There was a Mexican guy on the island named Joe Preciado and he was someone who changed his career path. He became like a charting boats for tourists at that point. Like he just stopped fishing and just found other <laughs> yeah. ways. So he lives on the island. Now you just are part of the tourist trade because mm-hmm. that's now your main that, income. That tends to happen with people who live on islands. I imagine, yeah. <laughs> because residents of the island, their income was dependent on getting attention. So sometimes the competition was so intense when tourists came to the island that you would get bombarded right away. Like, do you want to go underwater gardens or a glass bottom yeah. or do you want to go see fish or do you want to like, like you would just get, so it was no way to stop that because that's <laughs> money for them. In the first 15 years of the 20th century, want to see fish. Do you want to see a lot of fish? In the first 15 years of the 20th century, canaling and boosting had seemed to work and the island was getting a reputation as a paradise resort embodying all of the Southern California lore. It was being written about in travel books of the era people were writing songs and poems which included catalina and mean leaving avalon? avalon sorry what did i say catalina yeah Al Jolson sang about finding love and leaving a lover on the island. Through the 30s and 40s, there were songs like Avalon, Catalina, oh. My Love. <laughs> Never mind. Catalina. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it checked out. Catalina, My Isle, My Love was a song. Catalina Island, Isle of Romance was a song. Like it was being romanticized. Mm-hmm. But then two things happened in 1915. First thing is the longtime champion of Catalina, Charles Frederick Holder, dies. The second thing happens after midnight on November 25th. After midnight. On November 25th. A fire 25th. breaks out. <laughs> A fire breaks out. Unknown source, maybe arson, maybe not, raged through Avalon and devoured a lot of the structures, including the Hotel Metropole and the Pilgrim Club. The town was mostly made of canvas and wood, so of course, everything was on fire. I believe the lines of the inner mountain rail were on fire. <laughs> when things burned, they burned to the it's ground. One hell of a ride. Fire purifies all, of course. <laughs> For the next three years, the Banning started rebuilding parts of the island that were lost. Over the spots of the Hotel Metropole, they built a beautiful Hotel St. Catherine, and it became Hollywood home away from home, but we'll get that later. Where the stars have a Affairs. They rebuilt the tent village. They also blasted the rocky cliffs to make way for a roadway. But a bigger change was coming to the island. By 1919, the Banning era of Santa, Southern, Santa, Santa Catalina was coming to a close. The Bannings were parting ways What's with their. That sound? They were parting ways with their piece of paradise. The island was not seeing the profitable turnaround by this point that they had hoped. One of the reasons was because when you have a vacation island, you needed to become dependent on vacation season. People flocked during the summertime, but when the Banning boats were empty during the winter, the Banning suffered because of it. It was also only one of many facets of the Banning Empire and it did not require their utmost attention. Cars were becoming more prominent at the dawn of the 20s and mobility meant that you didn't have to settle for Catalina. You can go to anywhere else Mm. because you had a car. You didn't have to depend on a trolley to Long Beach and then a boat to the thing. You can drive anywhere. You can go to Yellowstone. You don't have to settle for Catalina. (laughs) But most importantly, the island was not a national destination. It wasn't quite on the map yet. It was sort of arm's reach to anyone in LA, but like it was sort of our thing, but nobody would come from Delaware to see Catalina. Like Mm. it was not going to happen. So the Banning's 
aimed to sell and they found a buyer. One of these Easterners who flocked to the Pasadena in the winter and he was new. I guess you could say he was winter fresh. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in February of 1919, <laughs> Philly's own chewing gum emperor, William Wrigley, a great lover of the island, purchased Santa Catalina from the Bannings for $3 million along with the majority shares of the SCIC and the Wilmington Transportation Company. It's, and someone not even 100 years before bought it for $1,000. And it was nothing. It was just like, what's this smuggler's yeah. code? <laughs> Is that an ex-convict living in a bay? I'll take it. Who are all these wonderful squatters? Is that a goat? <laughs> what is it? Shearing day every day? Was it my birthday? <laughs> Under the Bannings, Catalina was a well-known resort and tourist destination. Under Wrigley, the island would evolve into a sort of themed resort and fully realized vision. The theme of Catalina was Southern California postcard mythology. Everything you see in Southern California postcards, this was going to uh -huh. be like a real thing. Yeah. Complete with giant skull. One big difference between the Bannings and Wrigley, and it, it's this difference that makes all the difference towards a greater good. Stop the saying di difference. Yeah, but I spell it different ways each time. <laughs> the difference was that to William Wrigley, it didn't matter if he saw a profit from running Catalina. He was a post-war multi-millionaire mm -hmm. who ran several big operations churning and chewing away, <laughs> and Catalina was where he wanted to have fun. It was his playground. Catalina is to Wrigley what Venice was to Abbott Kinney. Mm -hmm. About Catalina... A Rig folly. <laughs> <laughs> a duck genocide oil-filled folly. About Catalina, Wrigley said, I have seen the temples of the world and I have been on almost every ocean but they are nothing compared to that of Catalina and the Pacific the marine gardens the glass bottom boats the fishing the bathing I am almost sure that Eve gave Adam that fatal apple on Catalina Island <laughs> so the Bannings looked at and she chewed it and she chewed it and it was good <laughs> so the Bannings looked at how to make money from their exclusive island which was devoid of riffraff and undesirables Wrigley's Island was open to everybody it was like I said his playground if it was his playground it was also your playground when asked by the press how he planned to increase tourism on the island, Wrigley said, if I can get people to chew gum, I can get them on Catalina. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess gum is on, I mean. Keep in mind that when he started Wrigley, gum was a novelty. Like yeah. it was like, you could buy whoopee cushions and gum and then he turned it into like, no, you chew it after. It's good for you. It's, yeah, this is healthy. <laughs> and even if a trip to the island remained too costly for lower income Angelinos, the policy shift to allow any boat to dock on the island was a welcome relief. It was like suddenly it was open arms. Okay. First and foremost, he found a suitable Open arms and open mouth to chew. You also were a writer for Incubus songs, right? You're the Carol King of, <laughs> of Incubus of, of 90s rock. Yeah. <laughs> he found a suitable location for spring training play. As we mentioned in mm -hmm. Uproot, root, root for the home team, Catalina was the home to the Chicago Cubs during the spring season. I won't get too much yeah, into if it. If you want to hear more about that, we go into that extensively, extensively in that episode. They would play the Pacific Coast League teams there. There's a I said I didn't want to hear any more about it. There's a really great segment from California Gold where Hugh Hauser visits the <laughs> island to talk to the residents about their memories of the Cubs, and then they have a cub reunion that he didn't plan on having they just show up what i'm I saying feel the dreams yeah he's moonlight graham you want to have a cat <laughs> i've never seen a glove this big it's like a normal glove but he's like wow is it leather you're handsome wrigley's georgian style mansion was built atop a hill named after his wife mount ada his wife name was mount yeah. ada his other mansion was on orange an unfortunate verb and then a name of, <laughs> of someone you cherish his mansion was on orange grove avenue in pasadena and became did you know this his old mansion on orange grove avenue became the headquarters for the Terminator Roses Parade? Yeah, yeah, I think we knew that. Did we know that? I think I, I remember learning that during the parade episode. Maybe but go I, on, trying to impress me. I mean, I would have said it, so I, <laughs> I impressed myself because I have bad memory. He manufactured Catalina tiles and porcelains, which were used for local construction, but also these tiles were for sale, both yeah. on the island gift shops. And Those are a big thing. 
Tell me more about it. They're colorful. Sometimes they have parrots on them. <laughs> You'll find out. You'll find out in a second. But did you know that they were sold in regular department stores worldwide? But you didn't know that? No, stupid. no, I knew that too. They have parrots on them. Uh, you no. old hillbilly. I read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> they have to go to a Marshalls to drop the ring and they end up buying a bunch of tiles and they forget all about the ring. and then <laughs> to Swap their ring there. for tiles. And then Jughead's there and his crown fills with a liquid gold. He's like, wait, are you my cousin? And he passes out. And then suddenly Coast Guard's there. And I'm in my bed. <laughs> Rig built a new municipal waterworks system for Avalon like reservoirs and pumping stations that way the issue of shipping in non-salt water was way easier Mm -hmm. the residents seemed to get along better with Wrigley than they did Bannings because with Bannings you almost had to work the tourist trade to make money because there's mostly if you're on the island you have to pay to get off the island like I don't now there are more options for residents of Catalina where he was controlled however was aesthetic in Wrigley's era cars would become banned completely from the island because he wanted to keep the island to a pre-urbanized living style he was Mm -hmm. like Disney created Disneyland where everything had to fit the theme of Disney. To that, the population of Avalon tripled during the 20s and saw a steady stream of tourists throughout that. He had a whimsy to him and instead of using the most affordable and profitable transport from the mainland to the island for tourists, Wrigley had Wrigley steamships, which were Great Lakes steamships, which could carry 1,600 passengers the 26 miles from the mainland to the thing. They were like steamships. So there's the Avalon steamer and the Catalina, which can carry 2,200 people. It was called the Great White Steamer. Ahab hated it. But he had these like steamships and it was a much more efficient way to get people to the mm. island. The 20s was the heyday for tourism to Catalina, seeing something like 400,000 visitors by the late 20s. Isn't that weird that even in the native days, it was like, we got to have a big canoe. We got yeah, to be able to move a lot of a people lot of at people. once because this is a long journey. This relay race of like, okay, four people at a time <laughs> and I have lettuce and a rabbit and a fox. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the largest attractions in the American West. In 1930, that number, 400,000, jumps up to 700,000 in 1930 and remained steady throughout the Depression, even though depression was hitting everyone real hard catalina didn't really sunshine's see sunshine's good for that yeah my wallet survives through photosynthesis so <laughs> the more sunshine the fatter my wallet gets what helped make that happen was movie stars hollywood is becoming famous in the 20s and 30s the wealthy and sleazy stars of the big screen flocked to the luxuries of the island and this continued throughout the golden age of hollywood people like charlie chaplin john wayne Lauren hardy errol flynn frequented the island winston churchill <laughs> movie star winston churchill a sexual assaulter and downright fiend clark gable frequented the mm. island william faulkner while in los angeles hating life and writing screenplays went to the island he hunted foxes, boars, goats, and other animals. He probably did this after watching Looney Tunes and admiring Elmer Fudd, which is the only character he could relate to. Yeah. Howard Hawks, director of Maltese Falcon, came to the island, as did the other HH I was confused for, Howard Hughes. One night at the St. Catherine Hotel, mm-hmm. Howard Hughes started demanding a room, despite being told repeatedly that they were full and you couldn't get a room, they're booked solid, and he didn't. He demanded one because he didn't need it for sleeping. His yacht was docked, but his female companion probably was queasy and seasick, seeing his urine in the jar sway <laughs> with the <laughs> waves, so he never got that room and probably washed his hands 30 times because of it. Tell me more about this UFO that sends a yellowish liquid into your craft. <laughs> new members of the Toon Club included Tarzan and Olympic swimmer Johnny Westmuller, mm. James Cagney, Rudolph Valentino. So now, during this year's the upper tier socialites of Los Angeles get replaced by Hollywood elite. So like, no more Holder and Roosevelt's. Now you have like Cagney and Valentino and stuff. That's the big switch that happens yeah. in the 30s. Later in life, Bette Miller got her start performing at a bathhouse on the island. Bette Midler? Yeah. The Ho- Witch. Hocus Pocus Hocus Witch. Hocus Pocus Witch, yeah. The Divine Miss M? Also, Where was she singing? A bathhouse somewhere. Also, uh, search Natalie Wood and Catalina and see what comes up. <laughs> the most prized piece of landmark the island offers is the Catalina Casino, which we will probably go into more detail later because you said there's probably a lot of stories. I just go over yeah. facts. So let's just go over some facts. <laughs> I go through the folklore and fables. I so. want to know every day of the man who designed it, whose name was <laughs> Sumner Spaulding. Ooh. Ooh, it was built in May of 1929. I've seen photos of it. You've been there and you've told yeah, me it looks amazing. Tour. It looks beautiful. It's a really cool yeah. place. The 
The building structure itself is the word colossal was used. It's a huge round ballroom, which just out to a point at the far end of Avalon's Harbor. Which again, it's not a gambling casino. It's like the intro sort of explained. It's a casino in, I guess, the British sense where it's just a gathering place and to have movies and balls and stuff. Yeah, the lower level was insulated by cork and wood flooring to mute the sound of the dance floor above. Cork provided by all those cubs that were cheating in the World Series. (laughs) (laughs) Where are they getting it from? It has pieces of wood in it too. And the shoe print. (laughs) Soapstone. There's a large theater that has murals painted by Gabriel Beckman who did set design again for Maltese Falcon and yeah. yeah. The murals yeah, done in Art Deco style show Native Americans and Padres and animals. The Native Americans stand on the surf looking at the horizon. In the back of them, there's a field of gold with a map of Catalina Island. The mural is titled, you know what it's called? No. Flight of Fancy Westward. Really? Yeah. I guess that's where the map went that blew off the coast. Yeah, it's actually hanging on the wall. It's, uh, <laughs> it's there all along. Formal attire was enforced and you couldn't even dance close to your partner. No bulges on the thighs. You leave that banana in the car. <laughs> In the Catalina Casino, prohibition lasted another 30 years, reaching well past World War II. So attendees, you'd have to flask it if you wanted to get a little buzz going on, which you needed to just stay calm. Oh, so that's the bulge you're talking about. Okay, good, good, good. This bulge is full of liquor. By the 1940s, radio listeners across the country were familiar with Avalon as a setting for big band broadcasts. The casino became famous, and by proxy, so did Avalon and then Catalina. William Wrigley dies at the age of 61 in 1930. One more thing about the casino. Yeah. It's still, they show movies there still. Oh yeah, you were telling me that. But yeah. it's, they're movies that are like a month behind, and then the top floor is the ballroom, and uh-huh. they have like these big jazz events oh, every cool. once in a while. Anyways, William Wrigley dies at the age of 61, 1931. He was only 61? Yeah. Chewing gum wasn't as healthy as he thought? He swallowed too much of it. <laughs> but a gum tree did grow over him. when <laughs> He is succeeded by his son, Philip Wrigley, who continues his dad's legacy of attracting tourists and following the island's theme of Southern California, which, as the years go on, rides the line between Orange Crate Label, Main Street America, and Kitsch, California. At this point, neon signs and palm trees and beach cultures are coming. Richard Nutra designed a ticket office for SCIC, which was a streamlined, modern, sleek, and metal. It doesn't really fit with the rest of it, but it's sort of like California-esque, so it kind of mm-hmm. fits. By some accounts, Philip didn't have the same moxie and enthusiasm as his pop. There were reports, I don't know this for a fact, that he decided to take in a movie at the casino and roped off half the house. So he wasn't like, apparently wasn't as giving and enthusiastic about mm-hmm. people like his dad yeah. was. But that's not, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just a story I read. But then, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy <laughs> pearl harbor is attacked thrusting the u.s into world war ii and at that point tourist operations stopped dead in their tracks the prospect of a boat trip 26 miles in the pacific full of <laughs> civilians seems a little bit like putting a chicken coop in a wolf's mouth like it's just like don't do that at that point catalina became a military island where everything's camouflaged and the hills are meant for hiding when the war was over fun island times resumed on island but something had changed and it was american culture better cars meant families could travel farther and faster and safer and they did that because you couldn't drive on catalina it meant there was a huge disconnect between these families families of tourists and adventurers that mm-hmm. like to take these trips. If I can't take my car all the way, then why are we going to go? Planes <laughs> became more capable as well in the 50s and destinations like Hawaii, which was a real tropical paradise and truly exotic to Americans, became more favorable. Mm-hmm. Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm opened up in that era and when asked, kids decided a day at Disneyland was better than a weekend at Catalina. Mm. That was another thing is that That's true. in the 50s, beginning of 60s, surf beach culture thrives in Southern California and Santa Monica and Venice become the places where young people want to go out because it's full of like, you know, you can go to the pier and hear rock music and you can also surf catalina you can go to the casino and hear benny goodman don't get too close to your date that was the thing is that catalina was for your parents Uh and and it kind of remains i didn't know any teenagers who like let's go to catalina it's not a cool place i mean families and drunk adults go there i mean that's everything i like just get drunk (laughs) near other families that i'm not in and be like this is what people did to me all the promotion and years of appealing to one type of tourist completely alienated the island from the following generation it's weird that an island 
island can go out of style. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, it, when you want to create an idea, then it's going to happen. I mean, it's still popular. It's, oh, yeah, no, it's, no, it's and, not Coachella. Yeah. <laughs> When you tell me, who's never been to Catalina, what I think of Catalina, who I think goes there, I think Golden Age Hollywood. That's what yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And like I, Palm Springs. It's the same. Yeah. It's I not, think 60s Southern California. When Bob I, Hope is there. Bob, Bob Hope. <laughs> as a 70s approach, it was no longer viewed by Angelinos as a paradise at arm's reach. It was seen more like as a quick getaway to escape the urban grind of the city, the existential dread of sitting <laughs> in traffic, breathing in brown air that was killing you. It was a place where the Hillside Strangler wouldn't kill you. <laughs> Just the bison will. <laughs> <laughs> Catalina now stands as this pre urban microcosm of Southern California. It's a resort island mixed with easygoing locals. It's like it's a quaint it akin is, to Palm Springs where everyone has a fight to keep this aesthetic both because it's historical and because it's a tourist trap. <laughs> like it's both these things. As much as it is problematic, isolation and inaccessibility would prove to be Catalina's greatest assets. Yeah. That concludes our presentation of why Trump is right. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I wanted to add... Oh yeah, ghost story. Uh, well, the, the ghost story is coming, but the one thing I wanted to add that I knew you wouldn't get to. In 1975, the Wrigley family, one of whom her name was Dorothy Wrigley off field. That's funny. Yeah. The family gave 42,000 acres of the land to the Catalina Island Conservancy, which gave them control of 88% of the island. So basically most of the island is protected land. And that makes us the oldest and biggest land trust in Southern California. I didn't know that. Yeah. So let me tell you my ghost story from yes, please. me and my girlfriend went and there's a ghost tour of the island. It was between, we could either take the ghost tour and the UFO tour. And uh, I was outvoted <laughs> to go on the ghost yeah. tour, which I love, but I also love aliens. Yeah. And they're at the same exact time. Come on, Catalina, get your act Yeah, together. yeah. you make me pick between my two great loves. <laughs> and they were literally starting on opposite oh, sides of the bay. they really wanted. They were taking a survey that day. So, so people like UFOs or ghosts? <laughs> Let's split them up. So the ghost tour, you can take it. It was pretty cool. A, so casual. There's a, I took a ghost tour. And it was pretty cool. <laughs> the ghost tour, family friendly, yeah. <laughs> At one point in the tour, that we get to the the uh, the big grocery store. I think it's a Ralph's, but it's a grocery store on the island. It's a historic Ralph's. It was Ralph Wrigley. <laughs> the story was that there was this guy who worked in the store and he worked in the bread aisle and he like you know he was the fun guy at work yeah, he would yeah. like throw bread around and yeah. stuff like that and then um, uh, wild I never wow, crazy yeah. and well, he died I think it was a natural death I don't remember anyway this guy died and then people later on reported like we've been in the bread aisle and we've been hit in the back of the bed with the head with a loaf of bread and there's no one around I've been hit in the back of the bread with <laughs> I got hit in the bread with a head <laughs> and we take the tour and the tour's over and we're like you know let's go to the bread aisle just to see just so, let's just see yeah. what happens and we go you're playing with forces you don't understand <laughs> we walk around the store we finally find the bread aisle and we're walking towards it and we're like this is you know there's someone at the other end of the aisle and we're like this is dumb nothing yeah. it's dumb it's, it's a ghost dumb. story yeah. right after we say that a loaf of bread flies off of the shelf onto the floor. You're kidding me. <laughs> and even the other lady was like, you oh, see that? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's my ghost story. Of I Catalina can't wait Island. to go to that Ralph's yeah. and debunk Just that. Stay, stay close to the bread aisle. That's no. all I'm saying. <laughs> you almost died. Yeah, I almost died from a bread injury. Bread dead. Bread. Me. Dead. <laughs> I hope this convinced you to travel I, it, there. It, Everybody. It yeah, no, it, there. yeah, for sure. We should all go, us and all the fans. Um, every LA Meekly field trip. We'll charter our own yeah, ferry. We'll, exactly. Oars. But we're going Going to the south side of the island uh -huh. where there's nothing. Yeah. We're going to China Bay. And um, I'm finding skulls. You know, there's a few skulls uh, we would prefer not to find, meaning we don't want to have to cause any damage to people. Nah, mail threats. Unless you leave reviews for us on iTunes. Hey, hey. that's not a threat. <laughs> that's not a threat. It's not a threat. It's a historic truth. <laughs> <laughs> if you use iTunes, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you have an iPhone, you can open the podcast app, leave reviews. Also, if you do use iTunes, subscribe. 
yeah. to the episode because it'll be easier for you for when bonus episodes come out, like the field trip episodes. You don't have to keep checking. It'll be right there. It'll just show up for you and it helps us out. Yeah. You can follow us on Instagram, Ali underscore Meekly, on Twitter at Ali Meekly, Facebook, Ali Meekly, Tumblr has the archive, Ali Meekly.tumblr.com. Email us questions. We're answering questions oh, now. Yeah. If you have, yeah, if you have a question for us to answer next month or if you have a suggestion for anything or for a field, field trip, trip episode, yeah. if you want to be a part of that or know someone who should be, you can email us la.meekly at gmail.com. Patreon, you sing can you sing? You, sir. Can, we have a few levels, postcards, instacks. We have some bonus content yeah. if anyone wants to pay for that. Yeah. You can give some money. You can also do one-time donations. You just do you it. Just do it. And then after the month is up, cancel it. That's it. We're also both really handsome. Mm. I feel like that should be said. Mm. I think they can tell. <laughs> Any closing words, Greg? Um, beautiful thank you when you started talking about the prehistory and you went back so long i'm like this is gonna be crazy but from everything you talked about to i talked about we see such a weird panoramic evolution of this weird little island yeah. that it like the bigger of the channel islands it's also weird that i mean i guess it is the bigger one but like why that island? why not yeah San Nicholas? exactly i mean i'm sure there's a reason that we both read both times <laughs> and we're like ah, that doesn't matter there's just more abalone on it or something it's got, it's got a full of soapstone follow the abalone <laughs> that's what we all that's say that's the key to real estate but it's no baloney it is this microcosm and it it, there's something that attracts people to this island. It is a nice getaway. If you don't want to waste your whole time going to Hawaii, yeah. go to Catalina. It's just as good. Diet Hawaii. It's Hawaii Zero. <laughs> it's a cocktail of Hawaiian Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah. Locals only. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been our Catalina episode. A little bit of start kicking the summer off. See you in June, friends. No, this is June. See you in... Yeah, yeah. See you in July. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I might just go to Catalina and disappear in the just inland. live there. Come get me. What are you going <laughs> to do? I'm going to gore a bison. <laughs> get your summer started with this. See you deeper in summer next month. Yeah. That's been Allie, another Allie episode Meekly. of LA Meekly. Basking in golden liquid since 2013. Question mark. Oh, this room's filling with liquid gold. Uh, oh, 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 oh. How many sound effects of us being covered in some kind of goo do we need? <laughs> Thank you.